106 miles to Chicago. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes. It's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it. I totally miss going to the theater. Have you seen any good films online? Uh, well, I'm thinking about seeing uh, the new Mulan movie by Disney. I just, I love that story. Oh, that's a hard pass for me. <laughs> oh. Why? In the credits of the film, Disney thanks the Chinese Communist Party for letting them film in a region, okay, where there's like close to a million people supposedly in concentration camps there. What? Are you, are you serious? Yeah, it's really messed up. I was just reading about all this. It's a Muslim minority ethnic group over there known as the Uyghurs. And the Chinese Communist Party is forcing these people into concentration camps to re-educate them. And the women there are having to undergo forced sterilization. It's a real violation of human rights. Well, I'm just, I'm having a hard time. I, I didn't know any of this. That's really, really messed up. Yeah, but what's really, really messed up is that Disney has a problem with filming in the state of Georgia because of their pro-life laws, but has no problem filming in communist China with all that stuff going on over there. I, I just didn't know much about the Chinese Communist Party. I didn't know any of this. Yeah, I didn't know either until recently. I mean, most people don't know. I'm just not a fan of the Chinese Communist Party. You know, they have a favorite candidate in our upcoming presidential election. Who? Who is it? Oh, you can just do a tiny bit of research and find out who. Were you told that if you had both jabs, you'd get freedom, that the vaccine would buy you freedom? How's that working out for you? Still stuck in your own home, not allowed to go on holiday, uh, freedom day being postponed, uh, looks like it's going to be extended through till July. Not allowed to go to any sporting events or concerts. Not allowed to get on a plane. Yeah, that double vaccination. Yeah, it's working out really well, isn't it? You got exactly what you were promised. For more than a year, agencies of state and local governments have purchased airtime on local radio stations to reinforce unscientific and unlawful mandates to wear masks and stay six feet apart. Now there's a full court press to influence you, to scare you, even to bribe you to be a guinea pig in an experiment that they're calling a vaccine. Now these advertisements presuppose that the virus was and remains a serious threat to health, but this is not true. Whatever the COVID-19 virus is or was, its morbidity rate is so low that the actions taken by governors to destroy the economy and the election process and the constitution and the healthcare system and even the rule of law were totally unnecessary even if they had been lawful, which they were not. So the public service announcements amount to a fraud designed to cover a fraud. They are using your tax dollars to run ads to continue the hoax of COVID-19. Now, the state constitutions provide methods for redressing these atrocities, but they are not self-enforcing documents. Those we elect must act. State legislatures can and should impeach and remove law-breaking governors and other complicit politicians. Attorneys general, as well as local law enforcement agencies and prosecutors, can and should investigate and indict those who have misused the police power of the state to violate the rights of the people. That is their duty. That is their job. 
and public service announcements should not be used to do the public a disservice. This is Michael Anthony Peruca for Institute on the Constitution bringing you the American View. this another try operator air here i got things a little goofed up earlier so uh here we go again this is lou benninger and this is the 119th episode of no hostages radio this is july 10 2021 and it's smoking hot here in sacramento uh, valley up here in yuba county and uh, i hope you can hang with us for a while hopefully you're sitting in air conditioning uh, environment i'm not but the nice thing is, by the time I get done in the wee hours of the morning, it'll probably be cool enough to sleep up here. So welcome. If you're new to us, uh, we are going to do six segments, uh, 20 minutes of talk, uh, divided by a few minutes of uh, clips that I've chosen for you that are educational and kind of current news that uh, is interesting and said better than I can say myself. I don't like to be redundant and repeat things, so I just let them say what they say. I say what I say. So um, you can reach me at nohostagesradio.com. Uh, there's an email at, called lou, L-O-U, at nohostagesradio.com. Again, that's L-O-U at nohostagesradio.com. And so you know that we have a website by that same name. And you can go there and you can find out all, our, all the articles I've written for newspapers uh, on current events. You can also find previous episodes. So you can have at that. Uh, you can also, uh, besides emailing me with your thoughts or ideas or information that you think I ought to take a look at, uh, or even critiques is are fine. I'm always willing to read and learn and maybe you know learn ways that I can improve the program. Also, you can uh, text me at five three zero seven one three. 1838. Once again, 530-713-1838. If you hear something and you want me to send it to you or email it to you, however, uh, I will do that. Sometimes there's, in fact, there's going to be a document today I'm going to tell you about. There was last week and a gentleman wanted to know, uh, wanted the article that some of the science uh, was contained in. So uh, I was able to send that to him this past week. So uh, you could also call me uh, I'll, I'll answer the phone, and or you can leave a message there on the the voicemail. I do che- I do check voicemails continually throughout the day and call people back. Uh, okay, so I um so a couple other things this week in the, uh, the a couple of days ago in the territorial dispatch. I'd say you can go on that territorialdispatch.com, or you could get a hard copy in Yuba Sutter counties up here in the North State. Uh, I have an article in there as well on the front page uh, on the called the road to recall about the recall of Gavin Newsom. Um, all right. You can also reach me. Uh, you can listen on Saturdays live. If you're up here in the North state on live with Lou, it's on KMYC 1410 AM KMYC 1410. They just rebuilt the station. It was burned down by an arsonist. 
they are rebuilding it, and it isn't on live stream or on the Internet yet, so you just have to have an old-school radio to listen at this point. So you can listen to me there. Uh, we do post the podcast as well on a Facebook page called Live with Lou, as well as the articles I read, I write. So that's all. The, there's plenty of ways to connect. I'm sure somebody will say, well, what about this? <laughs> Just like drive me crazy. So I want to give you some dates that are really important dates. This, this show is really about motivating you to uh, do something. Uh, we're no, no longer going to be able to just stand by and uh, do nothing or hope things change or even pray that things change. You know, uh, when you pray about things, you got to be willing to do something about it. Pray that somebody gets a meal in their belly uh, is nice. But if you have the ability to, to fill their belly and take care of them, help them, uh, you need to take action. So we need to take action. The founding fathers did not design this country to have a bunch of people sit around and, and uh, wish things would be different. They, they wanted a very active population, and they wanted so active that they wanted everybody, including young people, to be armed with weapons uh, to defend themselves and to stand up for their liberty. It wasn't to hunt, right? It wasn't to stop a burglar. It was to stand up for their liberty when people wouldn't listen. So I'm going to give you some things to do. There's a new active fired-up group called the Yuba County Republican Central Committee, you think, oh, that sounds boring. All these kind of political committees are boring. Well, this one just got kind of taken over by people that really wanted to do something instead of sitting by and letting politicians run the Central Committee from Sacramento, which was in the uh, James Gallagher runs the Sutter County one. Uh, he's an assemblyman. And Senator uh, Jim Nielsen's one of his uh, staff was running the Yuba County one, and neither of them are, they're basically impotent. So the Yuba County Republican Central Committee uh, has all new officers. Uh, people are now starting to fill in the committee seats. There's 25 seats, five per supervisorial district. And so you have an opportunity to be involved in that. You don't have to serve on in on the committee. You can be a part of the group and without being having an official capacity on the committee. But certainly every hand is uh, helpful, and I know they're doing a gun raffle right now. They're trying to sell a Glock or a raffle off a Glock plus a Beretta, and uh, they're trying to raise money for the organization. Basically, the, the organization had been run on the rocks, and uh, the people that were running it weren't leaders. And, you know, it's kind of like John Maxwell says, uh, when you think you're a leader and— uh, no one's following. That means you just went out for a walk. You're really not a leader. So the reason I'm bringing it up today is because July 13, uh, just a few days after this broadcast, July 13, they're having their monthly meeting. It's at seven o'clock and it's at the Hallwood Nazarene Church. The church offers their facility for them. Hallwood Nazarene Church is just about six miles east of the city limits of Marysville on Highway 20. It's in the small community called Hallwood, and there's the Cordua Elementary School right across the street from the church. So you just pull in there at about 7 o'clock at night, and they'll have a short meeting there. And they're getting organized to do voter registration, to vet candidates, to encourage people to run for office, to look at some of the uh, measures that are going to be on our local ballot. And that's the whole point of a central committee, whether it's a Democrat or Republican or whatever flavor. It's to uh, motivate and organize and inform people to uh, 
put forth their views and get people out to vote. So it's really important right now to vote. We're we're doing a um, a voting cam voting registration campaign at Church of Glad Tidings at whenever we have a meeting, a weekend church meeting, or when uh, when uh, General Flynn's going to be here on the 16th of July, we're going to do voter registration. So um, if I didn't know, I don't know whether you know this, but even if you're a, a teenager before you're 18, you can register to vote. It doesn't mean you can vote. You can't vote till you're 18, but. But by the time you're 18, if you've already registered, then you're automatically on the voting rolls. And uh, so if you want to vote um, for or against uh, Gavin Newsom for governor to reject him, recall him or keep him, you can actually, if you're just turning 18 in the next 30 days or so, you can register to vote right now and you could vote on September 14th in your first election. And it'd be a recall, kind of a historic moment. So uh, anyway, attend the July 13th meeting, uh, Yuba County, any of the districts, please attend that meeting, come and check it out, meet some new people. There are people from all over the county involved in this meeting, and uh, they want to make a difference and get it on. So uh, also, if uh, if you want to buy uh, raffle tickets, uh, why don't you give me a text or an email and I'll hook you up with the right people to do the tickets. I don't have a. I didn't want to give out a phone number tonight uh, because I'm not quite sure who wants their number given out. My numbers get all over the place. So, but if you want tickets, they're twenty dollars a piece. I bought a hundred dollars worth. I'm hoping to win me a gun. But even if I don't, I feel good about donating a hundred dollars towards these hardworking people that are uh, trying to do their best for uh, Yuba County activism also july 16th we've been talking about this it'll be the last time we talk about it until he's here general michael flynn of all the places in the world that general michael flynn i thought would never come would be yuba city or marysville yuba sutter county but here he comes and uh they're coming into town on the 15th but on the 16th uh, they will uh, be start off in the morning i think it's eight in the morning at the bridge, it, that's a building or a, a event center, 530 event center. They call it the Bridge Church. So it's a big converted warehouse right at the base of the 10th Street Bridge in Marysville. It's at 11th and J Street in Marysville. Very easy to find. In fact, if you're driving over the 10th Street Bridge, you can see the roof of it right there. So it's 11th and J. So listen, General Michael Flynn, the first thing he wants to do in the morning as he, he's arrived and got some sleep is he wants to speak to as many veterans personally that as he can in a meeting, just veterans and their, their partners, spouses or whatever. Uh, so uh, the event is free to the vets and uh, to their spouses or partners, but you have to register because we want or they want i'm not running that they want to be able to prepare properly pre- prepare enough food prepare enough seating etc cetera, etc cetera. so if you'll call tammy at 530-674-0400 uh, you can register for the breakfast that's as simple as it is just give them your name and how many are coming and then uh, when you get there have some sort of identification that that you are a veteran okay Six seven four zero four hundred. That's a five three zero area code. This is not just limited to Yuba Sutter veterans. Any veteran in the the sound and hear this broadcast, uh, you can come, and they want you. and And he just wants to have a private meeting with veterans to uh, to talk to them. So that's that's the first thing he's doing. Then um, 
later in the day, uh, th- there'll be some other activities, but the meeting at Church of Glad Tidings at 1179 Eager Road in uh, Sutter County, across the river in Yuba City, uh, there'll be a, uh, a meeting start at 6 o'clock at night. Uh, there'll be a VIP meeting that starts earlier, and you can go on the website if you want. It's a $500 VIP meeting. It's a fundraiser for the Flynn family because of all the costs it took to fight uh, four years um, during the Trump administration when they when he was removed from the Trump administration. So it's a fundraiser. It's a $500 uh, personal uh, event, uh, question and answer for a couple hours with General Flynn. And you can find out about that at churchofgladtidings.com, and you could actually buy a ticket there. That that VIP meeting is just a small group of people that will be there for that. And then all those people can just walk right across the drive into the bigger building at the Church of Glad Tidings and set in on the rest of the meeting in the evening. So the evening meeting starts at the afternoon meeting is VIP. The evening meeting is was $20 a piece to get into the evening meeting at 6 o'clock at night. And it'll go till nine, and that was twenty dollars a piece. But the, uh, the, from what I understand, and I hope there hasn't been any fraud or anything, but uh, they said the tickets sold out in four hours, and that was a long time ago. So if you just wanted to take a chance, anybody's welcome. Take a chance to come and just wait. You, if people bought tickets and didn't show up, uh, certainly you could will fit you in. Or they'll fit you in at Glad Tidings. So that's Church of Glad Tidings, 1179 Eager Road, uh, Yuba City, California. And there is, again, there are VIP uh, seats or tickets or passes available. And that's a couple hours with the general and uh, him talking plus questions and answers. Okay, so that covers that. Um, Then on uh, there has been an announcement by the California Secretary of State that there is going to be a recall election on uh, September 14th uh, of this year, 2021. And uh, so that means you can vote uh, two things. There's going to be two decisions to make on that ballot. That's all that's going to be on the one ballot. One, do you want to recall Gavin Newsom, the governor? Yes or no. And then the second question will be, who do you want as governor? And then there'll be a list of candidates, and there'll be probably 150 candidates. So you'll have to make up your mind ahead of time and just scroll down and look for the right person and click on that. Then, then you're done. Now, if you just want to vote for or against Newsom and not vote for the other people, you can do that. Or if you don't want to vote for or against Newsom and you just won't want to vote for the new governor, you can do that. Or you can vote for both. So, in other words, it doesn't invalidate your ballot, according to the Secretary of State's office, if you do any of those options I just mentioned. So there are all kinds of people running. A lot of times there's kooks running. People want to tell their great, 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 great grandkids that they at one time ran for governor, even though they they probably uh, didn't have any idea how to spell governor. So uh, I mentioned in an article that I wrote that I just mentioned earlier called Road to Recall that at the end of the article, well, basically the article just explains all the gymnastics and all the mechanisms that have to play out in the recall and the history of the recall in California, et cetera. But I told at the end that there is a, there had been a rumor that uh, one that Larry Elder, who's the uh, very well-known talk, talk show host, a national talk show host, very sharp guy, 
was considering running, and also Kevin Kiley, that is a six-district con- congressman, not congressman, but assemblyman, uh, for the state assembly down here in Sacramento, and he serves um, kind of the just north and to the east of Sacramento. Those are his districts. They're, those are his uh, constituents out there. So um, there was a rumor that he was uh, interested in running. So since last week when uh, this show played, uh, he, Kevin Kiley, announced, in fact, today is... Uh, I'm doing this, uh, preparing this broadcast on the 8th for the 10th. I think it was today or yesterday he actually announced that he's running um, for governor. So uh, even though you're listening to this broadcast whenever you get to it, or I'm going to give the same information for the radio show on the 10th, uh, Saturday the 10th, uh, just to let you know what he's doing with his campaign, he's conducting a, an outdoor uh, rally for governor on, on the, uh, the lawn of the Capitol, probably the west side, I, I assume. That's where a lot of the demonstrations are conducted. So Kevin Kiley will be out there speaking and announcing his candidacy right on the Capitol grounds on on uh, on uh, July 10. And so you may hear this first thing in the morning on July 10, and you still would have time uh, to go down there. Uh, let's see. Let me just see. I'm trying to think what... Uh, hold on here. Just going to solve this. Uh, so let me look up here. I'll, I'll look it up and uh, see if I can pull it up really quick. And uh, hold on, and I'll give you the time in case you're still time to run down there. Yeah, campaign. Okay, it's a 10 a.m. start on Saturday the 10th, July 10th at 10. So unless you probably heard it elsewhere, you're probably not going to no help for me to say it. But it's just uh, he is probably the highest profile candidate, Kevin Kiley, to launch this candidacy. So uh, you might give him a look. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about Kevin since he announced, and I I, I got uh, – I've been watching Kevin Kiley's blog, and he is the assembly man that led the filing of an injunction, I think that's what you call it, in the Sutter County Superior Court to stop Gavin Newsom from dismissing the legislature during this COVID uh, 16 months, COVID emergency, false emergency. And uh, he prevailed uh, at the Sutter County Superior Court and uh, so he was down here, and we got to. He's been at a, a number of events. In fact, he was at Dinesh D'Souza meeting at Glad Tidings this last uh, last Saturday, and where he was uh, he was at the fundraiser for Tamika Hamilton, who was running for third district Congress, U.S. Congress. So let me give you a little uh, in, uh, information about Kevin Kiley. He was born and raised in the uh, actually in the sixth, sixth assembly district. Uh, he went to Granite Bay High School. He was in the fifth graduate graduating class at Granite Bay. That's up in the Rockland area. We know it's the Rockland area. Uh, he got a bachelor's degree from Harvard. Uh, then he went and got a law degree from Yale. He got a master's degree in secondary education from Loyola Marymount. And uh, early in his career, he um, he joined a group called Teach for America. That that's a group that went into difficult school districts 
and troubled areas, poor areas. And he, he gave, I don't know how long he did it, but it says early in his career, uh, Kevin taught 10th grade English, sophomore English. That would have been interesting. Um, he also served in, as an adjunct professor at McGeorge Law School. Uh, that is a law school in Sacramento, California. And he's also involved in uh, the cattle business some. So l- let me give you a few of the things he's been involved in because you may not have heard of, of him, but uh, you may be around the state and outside his district. And uh, he's kind of an interesting guy. He went to, As I mentioned, uh, he was at Granite Bay High School. During his freshman year of high school, Kylie won a national basketball shooting contest uh, sponsored by the NBA. And I'm going to take a break right now, and I'm going to tell you about the rest of it on the backside of this, these clips. Okay, hang tight. wearing masks, double masks, triple masks, wet masks alone in my car, like a mask pervert, because it is dangerous out there, people. You should be afraid. Trying to breathe like a normal human being who's been doing that for decades, that is not okay anymore. And now Boris Johnson says, we're not gonna wear masks anymore, which means I'd have to take my mask off and I am double, triple, autoimmune, compromised, double, double, jabbed, risky, pisky. This is a disaster. So you know what we're going to do, people? We're going to hashtag wear a mask because we're going to show that we voted Remain, that we have lots of cash and private health care and private schooling, but we still think we know better than everyone else. And we're going to show that we're not selfish and we're going to keep masking just to show that we're better than everyone else. Got that? Right, I'm off to self-soothe. Just going to go and listen to some Alid Jones schlongs of praise. Meanwhile, double mask, hashtag wear a mask alone in a car. Good. No, I, I, here's how it works, Dr. Fauci. Right. I get to ask you the question. You're the highest paid official in the United States government. You've given us your advice on baseball, on dating apps, on cruise ships. You told us zero masks, one mask, two masks, now back to one mask. I'm just asking you, when is it going to end? Now, I repeat, I'm not anti-vax, but you're saying we got to be forced to be vaccinated? Now, you don't have to be a conservative. You don't have to be a traditionalist. But what about liberals? You know, the high information by the science people. In a recent Gallup survey, Democrats did much worse than Republicans in getting the right answer to the fundamental question, what are the chances that someone who gets COVID will need to be hospitalized? The answer is between 1 and 5%. 41% of Democrats thought it was over 50%. Another 28% put the chances at 20 to 49. So almost 70% of Democrats are wildly off on this key question and also have a greatly exaggerated view of the danger of COVID-2 and the mortality rate among children. All of which explains why today the states with the highest share of schools that are still closed are all blue states. So if the right-wing media bubble has to own things like climate change denial, shouldn't liberal media have to answer for, how did your audience wind up believing such a bunch of crap about COVID? You got guys like Governor DeSantis and Governor, Governor Greg Abbott out there looking like geniuses. No forced vaccinations, 
No mask mandates. No, <laughs> their businesses are all open. Their stadiums are open, right? Full to capacity. And yet, no spikes in the cases. No hospitalizations increasing. No deaths increasing. Are you not seeing this? Those of you who are still buying this, you're still masked up in your car and everything. Texas lifted its COVID restrictions recently, and their infection rates went down, in part because of people getting outside to let the sun and wind do their thing. But, but to many liberals, that can't be right, because Texas and beach-loving Florida have Republican governors. But life is complicated. I've read that the governor of Florida reads. <laughs> but apparently the governor is also a voracious consumer of the scientific literature. And maybe that's why he protected his most vulnerable population, the elderly, way better than did the governor of New York. Now personally, I trust the science. I'm not worried about COVID in the least. What I am worried about is the COVID cult trying to abolish the Constitution and turn our homeland into a gulag. What I am worried about is scientism posing as science. I'm worried about junk science. Put a mask on, it's going to save your life. <laughs> all right, that's not science. If you look at all the mask mandates throughout the country, when we instituted mask mandates, the incidence of the disease went up particularly in December and January, as we went up exponentially, as the rise in infections occurred, everybody was wearing masks. So there's not a great deal of evidence that mask mandates or economic lockdowns have changed the trajectory. If you weren't in a cult, you would see, as we are seeing, that this has nothing to do with your health. This is about power. This is about control. Right, so he he uh, he was a good basketball player, I guess, or at least he could shoot the ball good enough to get it to the basket. I don't know whether he played on any of his uh, high school teams or not, but he won a national basketball shooting contest sponsored by the NBA in 2003. Uh, Kylie graduated as valedictorian of Granite by high school, fifth graduating class. He went on to attend Harvard University, graduated with high honors, completed a thesis uh, titled The Civil Rights Movement and the Reemergence of the Classical of Classical Democracy. After graduating, he became a teacher in Los Angeles who Teach for America, as I mentioned earlier, and, and uh, earned his teaching credentials uh, as well. In 2008, he was recognized as a national debate champion while participating as a member of the Loyola debate team. Kylie later attended Yale Law School worked as an editor on the Yale Law Journal, and clerked at the Federal Reserve Bank of New York. He returned to California, where he joined the law firm Irel, or Irel, and, and Manella. The interesting thing that got my attention uh, as his career, which I didn't know much about, uh, as an attorney, Kylie prosecuted the case against China's Huawei Technologies for trade secrets theft. In other words, that's China's big technology group that was stealing uh, uh, intellectual property from Americans. 
It became the basis for the federal criminal investigation against Chinese, the Chinese company. He volunteered at a, at a pro se legal clinic and in 2013 received recognition in the United States District Court Court's honor roll of volunteers for extraordinary efforts in support of self-represented litigants. Uh, he continued his pro bono work through 2015 when he won a victory before the California Court of Appeal for a non-English speaking indigent man who was def- defrauded by a used car dealer. That's a bummer. So uh, there's more here. Uh, well, first of all, he his uh, career as a politician, he was elected in 2016 to the state assembly. Um, one of his first legislative acts was to author a resolution to protect freedom of speech on college campuses, which is being er- terribly uh, abused. It, it did pass uh, unanimously. Ka- uh, Kylie also authored bills to provide greater transparency in police use of force cases to protect victims of sexual assault from their abusers and to stop invasions of privacy through voyeurisms, all of which were signed into law. Uh, let's see. He's done a lot, but um, one of the things, he's been one of the most outspoken critics in the legislature during uh, this fight with uh, Governor Newsom, and he tag-teamed with the local legislator here in the Yuba Sutter area called James Gallagher, and they, too, worked against suing Governor Newsom. Uh, they, they acted as their own attorneys, both are attorneys, and they won a trial against Newsom, as I mentioned, with the Superior Court, etc. Um, so he recently published a book called, or titled, Recall Gavin Newsom, The Case Against America's Most Corrupt Governor. And that's, uh, so now he's running for office, and you're, you, and I mentioned he, uh, although you probably missed it, as I'm going to miss it, he's, he's going to have a, uh, an event on Saturday the 10th, and uh, hopefully he'll come to the uh, the event with uh, General Flynn and uh, attend that and and get some publicity there. So much uh, you know, wish him the best, Kevin Kiley. So uh, all right, I just I'm sorry for the hiccups tonight. I I had a little problem getting started and one and Tanner Martis just texted me from Texas and it's the middle of like the wee hours of the morning back there and he was going to try to help me with it, but I think. I just erased everything and started over fresh. Got a fresh blackboard, as they say. I wanted to read you something uh, that I thought was cool. People send me things, and some of it comes off the uh, different social media places that I think, oh, who thought of that? That's amazing. So there's a term called conundrum, C-O-N-U-N-D-R-U-M, conundrum. And it says a gun is like a parachute. If you need one and don't have one, you'll probably never need one again. The definition of the word conundrum is something like something that is puzzling or confusing. And so I'm going to read you six conundrums of socialism in the United States of America. Uh, Number one, America is capitalist and greedy, yet half the population is subsidized. These are true truths. These are truths that I'm telling you. But then it, the second half of it uh, should cause you to have a conundrum, things that are hard to understand. Number two, half the population in the United States is subsidized, yet they think they are victims. Number three, they think they are victims, yet their representatives actually run the government. Number four, their representatives run the government, yet the poor keep getting 
poorer. Number five, the poor keep getting poorer, yet they have things that people in other countries only dream about. Boy, isn't that the truth if you've ever traveled overseas. Number six, they have things that people in other countries only dream about, yet they want America to be more like those other countries. So here's three more short sentences that tell you a lot about the direction of the current government and cultural environment. Number one, we are advised to not judge all Muslims by the actions of a few lunatics. You, have you remembered those few lunatics that ran into the trade towers, flew into the trade towers, uh, machine gunned down their fellow employees at, down in San Bernardino, the social services unit of San Bernardino? Uh, there's been, you know, uh, the numbers of uh, tragedies that have happened to psychiatrists that mowed down uh, military people that were unarmed. I was that at Fort Hood? I can't remember now. So we're not to we're advised not to judge all Muslims by the action of just a few lunatics, right? Remember, Obama called that shooting of that psychiatrist, the psychiatrist shooting all his fellow military people as workplace violence. That was Obama. Amazing. So we're not supposed to judge all Muslims by the actions of a few lunatics, but we are encouraged to judge all gun owners by the actions of a few lunatics. You ever notice a lunatic or two out there? Yeah, there's lunatics driving cars out there. Here's another one. Seems we constantly hear about how Social Security is going to run out of money. Remember that? Even before you ever collected Social Security, you heard, oh, the Social Security, we're running out of money. We're running out of money. And there's no fund. There's no fund. They spend it all for something else, right? But you never hear about running out of money for welfare or food stamps. The interesting thing is the first group worked for their money, but the second group did not. Number three, why are we cutting benefits for our veterans? No pay raises for our military and cutting our army to a level lower than World War II, but we are not stopping the payments and benefits to illegal aliens. I mentioned earlier that the reason I'm doing this show, one of the reasons, important reason, probably a key reason, is that I'm trying to motivate everybody to do something. That's a huge thing if you do something, particularly if you haven't really done anything over the years except pick. You know, some people just harvest, 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 and never put anything back into the tree, like fertilizer, water it. They just take from it. Plato said, if you do not take an interest in the affairs of your government, then you are doomed to live under the rule of fools. If you have any confusion about who's ruling us right now uh let me help you with the word fools chris ann hall just sent a um a statement of their philosophy chris ann is a specialist with her husband jc she leads the way but jc is is not small potatoes her husband they teach 230 240 days a year on the Constitution throughout the country uh, and, and just take basically offerings. They also have an online school, uh, Liberty University, 
and um, she is. They have online face. Uh, it's Chris Ann Hall, K R I S A N N E Hall dot com. You can subscribe to their free uh, podcasts that pop right on your YouTube screen, or you could go dip into them somehow. But uh, they also have online teaching. They will come to your city and teach uh, schools, school children. They will teach police officers. They teach hundreds of police officers and sheriff's deputies about the Constitution. So this is a statement of their organization's philosophy. She says, we believe in liberty under the rule of law. In other words, liberty, have as much as you want, but there are laws. We believe in liberty under the rule of law. This means that government's purpose. Now, this is something we've lost, and I want you to just see yourself how far off tune you are, like a musical instrument gets out of tune. This means that the government's purpose should be to protect the national rights of every individual, and each individual should have the freedom to enjoy what is his or hers as long as he or she does not harm or infringe upon the rights of another. So in other words, our founding fathers wanted us to have maximum liberty, maximum liberty without, inf- without the government infringing on us. And the, the limit of that or the line in the sand where that would, you couldn't go any farther was if you were going to harm or infringe upon the rights of another person, another human being. In other words, everybody, everybody plays everybody wins if they respect each other's turf, kind of, right? So also, um, she put out, and I think I have it, I, I printed out copies for a freedomco.net meeting, Freedom Coalition Network that uh, we have going on up here in Northern California. And I printed it out. It was wonderful. She uh, was a prosecuting attorney for the state of Georgia. Now she's, she's focused on the Constitution and teaches Constitution. And uh, I think she probably is still a licensed attorney in Florida, but she put out a document because in response to uh, the word that's going out of government uh, employees showing up at your doorstep, asking you a bunch of questions about your health and about vaccines. Now, tonight or today, in, in uh, proceeding tonight, I was getting texts from people saying, hey, I'm getting texts from the government asking me if I've taken the vaccine and then asking me a lot of questions about that. So so Chris Ann Hall put out a two page document. One is uh, the, the second page. The first page of the document explains how this is wrong, what's what's going on, and you don't have to cooperate with it. The second thing is to uh, declare that that person that's showing up in your door is actually trespassing, and if they don't leave immediately, you're going to have them arrested. So um, if you need that and you want to get a hold of me, I'll figure out a way to email it over to you. Or you could go to chrisannhall.com. Let me, chrisann, that's K-R-I-S-A-N-N-E. H-A-L-L, all one word, chrisannhall.com, and look for it yourself regarding uh, people going door-to-door and wanting to vaccinate you uh, door-to-door, okay? Now, I, I said last week that, that, uh, that I was going to prevent stupid people, that I didn't want stupid people listening to the show. And so I began wondering about that statement, and I thought I'm going to look up the term stupid. 
And so I found out the words, I looked up the words moron, imbecile, and idiot. And I realized by this definition, they mean different things. And so I, I was saying that I know their liberals listen to shows like this and then they call up and get furious. Um, and so I, I, I don't understand that why you'd want to go through the pain of somebody like me talking to you when you don't believe what I say. So I suggested a lot of you people, if you're, if you're a moron, you're an imbecile or you're an idiot, I just said, if you're stupid, you shouldn't listen. So I want you to, to understand the meanings of moron, imbecile and idiot. So in psychology, an idiot has, has the least intelligence of the three on the IQ scale. Um, this would be related or, or the equivalent of somebody mentally retarded or uh, now politically correct, mentally challenged. An imbecile is not quite as dumb as an idiot and is now considered equivalent to a moderate retardation. A moron, the third term moron, is uh, then the highest level of intelligence for the three stupid people. Uh, for someone who is mentally retarded, that's considered as being mildly mentally retarded. So specifically, those who have an IQ between 0 and 25 are idiots. Uh, between 26 and 50 are imbeciles. And those who have an IQ between 51 and 70 are considered morons. Now, these were terms where I'm just trying to uh, settle this because I'm encouraging people that can't stay with me or can't stay with the topics. Don't clog up the, uh, the airways. So these terms are popular in psychology as associated with intelligence on an IQ test until around the 1960s, my research says. And they were then replaced with terms like mild retardation, moderate retardation, severe retardation, and profound retardation. Um, so just thought I would throw that in just to clean up a, a little uh, confusion or maybe lack of understanding. I didn't have time to really go into it, okay? So I, I titled this, I Don't Care, or I Never Cared. And this was a meme that came to me. I thought, these people are just smarter than the average duck. So he says, this guy says, writes this, and I, it's anonymous, so I can't give credit where credit's due. Yeah, I didn't write it. So it says, you know, folks, I never cared that you were gay until you started shoving it down my throat and, and never cared, and I never cared what color you were till you started blaming me for your problems. And I never cared about your political affiliation until you started condemning me for mine. I really never even cared where you were born until you wanted to erase my history and blame my ancestors for your problems uh, that, you know, I never even cared uh, if your beliefs were different than mine until you said my beliefs were wrong. But now I care. My patience and tolerance are gone and I'm not alone in feeling like this. There are millions of us who feel the same way. Uh, a guy says, a guy named George Darunda says, only in America can you find a kid wearing $150 tennis shoes, drinking a $5 cup of coffee, typing or texting on his $1,000 cell phone, complaining on social media that he is oppressed and that capitalism has failed him. So uh, I want to begin a topic here, and this is kind of getting into the COVID discussion again. Really, COVID has just, uh, you know, it's kind of like going to the doctor and you have a problem and you think you have this problem, a minor problem, but you want the doctor to correct it. And he begins fussing around looking at you and he discovers 
this what what you perceived as a problem that's just probably a typical problem and you want him to just examine it and then address it but when he addresses it he notices that you're rotten inside with cancer you ever heard that before they opened him up they went in to work on him they thought it was this they opened him up he was full of cancer so they just sewed him back up you ever heard that term i've heard that many times over the years very sad when you hear that because uh, it's a person that you know you care about and uh the doctors don't see any practical hope other than a, a miracle to save that person's life. Very sad. So, uh, so what COVID has done is opened up the insides of a rotting nation, a, ra- a nation that we thought was honest for the most part, a nation we th- who we thought was uh, full of integrity. Uh, you know, there's always some bad apples, right? I used to think when I went to third world countries like China, Vietnam, uh, Laos, all these countries that there was just there was just corruption everywhere, and I just thought, wow, I'm glad America isn't this way. Elections were corrupt, people were always wanting payoffs. They were jacking you around at immigration all the time, paying off this person, paying off that person, and I just thought, I'm I'm, I'm glad I live in America. And then with COVID, it exposed so much rottenness, rottenness in the school system, rottenness, rottenness at every level of politics federal state and local rottenness in the fbi the cia the uh rot who would have believed that the people like the centers for disease control or the the world health organization who you think are dedicated to better health for all humans and poor people and causing poor people to live longer and better and nicer lives are all corrupt liars just complete liars who would you who would you ever believe that the local health officials are communist hacks they actually are telling you to do things that'll make you sick it just it's just unbelievable so uh because of my work in, in with the police law enforcement and the sheriff's department as a volunteer and in trauma intervention i learned a little bit because I set through teachings on how the coroners determine the cause and the manner of death. I've set through 90-minute lecture after 90-minute lecture. Very interesting, very, very interesting work. So when we come right back, just after our second break, I'm going to uh, tell you about uh, the topic of this little next section is what did she die of? Be right back. I was 17 years old when I first saw America. I remember uh, the airplane uh, descending on New York City. I I looked out of the window. Uh, I saw the skyline. I saw the Statue of Liberty. Uh, And a very strange feeling came over me. Uh, I realized my life was going to be completely different from that moment on. I felt I was moving from the margin of the world to the center. And I recognized in a very youthful way that I was coming to a country where I could be the architect of my own destiny. This is the, to me, the great promise of the American dream. Notice, by the way, that no other country really has a dream. I mean, the Chinese don't really have a dream. There's, there's no Indian dream. Uh, there may be a French dream, but I really don't want to know. 
But when, when people talk about the American dream and they talk about immigrants, they talk, they think in terms just of economic opportunity, of, of American prosperity. And that is in fact part of the story. Uh, I have an acquaintance in Mumbai, in Bombay, India, who's been trying to come to America for many years. Uh, he's never managed to get a visa. And finally, I said to the guy, I said, hey, um, why are you so eager to come to America? He goes, Dinesh, I really want to move to a country where the poor people are fat. <laughs> and, and that is, like I say, that is part of the story. I lived with a host family in Arizona, and they would say to me, Dinesh, you're in a great state, Arizona. We want to take you sightseeing. We want to take you to see the Grand Canyon. We want to take you to see Tombstone, Arizona. You can see the fight at the OK Corral. And I was like, actually, if you want to take me sightseeing, take me to a grocery store. I want to see 17 types of cheese, 35 types of ice cream. But, but bigger than that, I think what America has meant to me has been the chance to write the script of my own life. And that dream we embrace by becoming Americans, by embracing the principles of America. The great obstacle to the American dream for immigrants, for minorities, for blacks, for Latinos, for Asian Americans, has simply been the Democratic Party. That's the historical truth, but it's a truth that is beautifully hidden from the American people and particularly from minorities. The reason for this is that the left has been so powerful in academia, in the media, and in Hollywood. And by Hollywood, of course, I mean the whole entertainment industry, the music industry, the comedians, Broadway, and so when you control the megaphones of the culture, you control the narrative. The Democrats have been so successful in controlling the narrative that they're able to convince Republicans that the Republicans are the bad guys. There was a head of the RNC, Ken Melman, a, a few years ago, who was going to black churches and going to the NAACP and apologizing for the racist history of the Republican Party even though the Republican Party has no racist history. Kenya, I don't know. Riley, you're out here homeless in Toronto. Tell me about it. Just how you expected it to be. In what way? Cold? Christmas? News? Now you told me you're sleeping right here in this cubby hole. Yeah. I am. Nobody should have to live like that. Unfortunately, that's the way the world works. How long have you been homeless? Few months. In a lot of places. I got clean, no. Got on Suboxone. Stopped doing heroin. <clears throat> you ended up here, huh? 
What's your future like? I don't know. And everybody thinks it's just a joke. You're watching me. It's real life. It's not easy. If you had three wishes, what would they be? I want a home. My life back. Simon Campbell, 1571 Brookfield Road, Lower Makefield Township. I'm a Pensbury School District resident, Pensbury School District taxpayer. I'm also a former member of the Governing Board of Directors, 2009 to 2013. It's nice to see the old faces. I'm here to speak today. I believe, Gary, you said it was item KKK in the agenda book. Well, isn't that just a perfect, perfect summation of what it is I'm here to talk about. KKK, your proposed new school board policy seeking once again to limit the constitutionally protected speech of American citizens. Now, when I sat on this school board, I believe some of you old timers might remember this, a union guy spoke at public comment for five minutes and ripped me a new one. He called me the bastard child of Margaret Thatcher. And I sat there and I said to myself, okay, fair enough. Welcome to America. He considers me a bastard because I'm in the government. His logic is sound. Now, what happened was the superintendent and the school solicitor at the time freaked out and they didn't put the tape online the next day. And I called them up and I said, get the tape online now before we get sued for censorship. I yelled at the solicitor to, and I asked him what law school he went to because it was clearly constitutionally protected rhetorical hyperbole. I can cite the case if you'd like. And I said to Paul along the superintendent at the time, don't ever cut the tape again, Paul. And by the way, bastard child of Margaret Thatcher, I took it as a compliment. Now, you snowflakes apparently have a bigger problem with public comment. It seems to me that you think you can supersede the United States Constitution. Well, I've got news for you, school board president Benito Mussolini. Your power does not supersede that of the US Constitution and the First Amendment rights of the citizens of this great nation. Let's be very, very clear who has the power. Mr. It is Campbell, not government policy. Do not warn me or do not interrupt my time. That if, if you, you interrupt make my time, personal insults like that again, or time. if you personally direct your comments, you will Let be asked be very to clear. step away from I'm, the podium. I'm going to I am quote asking to you, you to make your comments, I'm but do not just do name do not calling talk like over you me. just did. This is my comment, not your comment. I'm quoting to you now from the United States Supreme Court 1964 case, New York Times versus Sullivan. This is constitutional case law in this country, and I'm quoting you from the U.S. Supreme Court. The, just, the judges wrote that this nation is founded on the, quote, profound national commitment to the principle that debate on public issues shall be uninhibited, robust, and wide open, and that it may well include vehement, caustic, and sometimes unpleasantly sharp attacks on government and public officials. That's constitutional case law in this nation. I don't have to be nice to you. Nobody behind me has to be nice to you. If you don't like living in the United States of America, then you can all move to Russia, Cuba, or China. This is the First Amendment. 
and I will, I will caution you, I will caution you, solicitor. There is a video camera to my left. If you edit this tape, then you're going to have a big legal problem on your hands because my right to critique your fascism, which is what this is, is constitutionally protected. There are emails, public record emails, in which the director of equity is lobbying and advocating for public comment to be censored in this school district. And you know what? You know what? Lobbying for it, advocating for it. We've got the school board president saying she'll do better at hitting the moot button in blatant violation of the Constitution for her lobbying and her advocacy of unconstitutional censorship. I want you, the school board, to terminate the employment of Dr. Charissa Gibson with immediate effect. terminated her employment, I want all of you to tender your resignations for hating on this country. We have a God-given constitutional right to critique you, and we can speak in any lawful tone that we see fit. And don't go looking around, Benito, because this is the United States of America. You have a good... Uh, one more thing. I want to make a verbal request right now for an unedited copy of the tape. So if any of you delete it, you're going to have a big legal problem. Good night. I did a little research, and and there's so much great stuff on the on the web, internet about even the entire booklets on how to teach corners how to do their job was amazing. I just didn't have time to do that kind of depth of research, but I just want to give you when someone dies, it's the responsibility of law enforcement in California at least, or medical examiners to determine why that person died, to make sure that they died of. Uh, that they didn't die before they should have, right? That somebody didn't take their life or somebody there wasn't malpractice in medical, uh, on and on and on. 
So this one little heading in this large article said, what is a coroner's conclusion or verdict? So the, the, they, they look for the cause of death and the manner of death. And I don't want to get into all the gory details because I want to make another point about this whole COVID fraud. At the end of an inquest or an autopsy or an evaluation, the coroner will summarize the factual circumstances leading up to the death and then return a conclusion or a verdict on how the death occurred. This is, this is just natural deaths, you know, all kinds of deaths, all deaths. They have to look at this and determine it. There are a number of conclusions available to the coroner, and these include natural causes of death. The person just got tired and died. Drug-related causes, industrial diseases, neglect. It doesn't mean neglect like elder, elder abuse. It's talking about like if Lou doesn't go to the doctor enough and they say, well, we just think he just he should have gone to the doctor. They told him to go to the doctor and he just didn't go to the doctor. So he died of gigantic blood pressure, you know, too high blood pressure, right? Something like that. That's neglect, neglecting yourself. Unlawful killing, some type of murder, right? Homicide, murder, suicide, accidental death, misadventure. So they, they come up with a category and doctors help them, the deputies, and, and sort this all out. The narrative conclusion is given with a description of what happened. They talk about the description of what happened does, when, when the description does not neatly fit into one of those short conclusions, like industrial disease, right? So it might be a narrative like Mr. Smith died from pulmonary embolism, which occurred as a consequence of recognized complication of, of the surgery he just had, necessary surgery. So that's a blood clot, they tell me, right? So that's a common description to, to determine uh, to put on the death certificate, which is recorded and, and is kept there forever. I'm in. So I won't go into other details on this because that's not my point. So I want to go up here and this some person put together this. It's a copy of a death certificate. And it says here, the Biden administration is providing new guidance to coroners and medical examiners across the country for determining causes of death. And so what happened during the COVID uh, times is that doctors and, and were told to put COVID down as the cause of death in these hospitals and uh, in these clinics, uh, because if they put that, put that down, then the statistics would go up and scare the hell out of people. And they would also get, I think 29 or $39,000 per person, uh, that actually was, were on the in the ICU and the ventilator and stuff like that. And they got like 12 or 16,000 for people that just made it in the hospital to die. So, but the, the, they wanted the COVID. If anybody had, you, you didn't have to be sick from COVID. You could have been sick from something else. You could add cancer. You could have got hit by a car. You could have been shot in the head. You could fall, falling off a bridge working on it. Uh, you could be run over, uh, on the highway doing your job as a Caltrans worker. But if you had any COVID antibodies in your system, that that means that just means that there's some litter in there from COVID. Doesn't mean you're sick from COVID or have COVID. They would put COVID down as the cause of death, even though you got a bullet hole in the side of your head. Now that's fraudulent, people. Those are liars. And I, I even if I had 50 years to live, I would never believe the medical establishment in this country forever. I'm in. They're dirty. They're dirty people, they're liars, and they, you know, there's a, I think it's Genesis 25 or 35, I can't remember which, the first book of the Bible. And there are two brothers, uh, Jacob and Esau, 
and their their dad Isaac uh, was uh, uh, an interesting fellow, Isaac and Rebecca. So anyway, uh, Jacob and Esau. Uh, Esau was the firstborn, and uh, the firstborn in the Jewish family got basically the the lion's share of the inheritance. And so one day Esau came into into the uh, the yard. He had been out for a while and he was famished. And he really, he was really famished. And his son was cooking some stew with meat in it. And he begged him for a bowl of stew. And uh, he said he was willing to trade his birthright for a bowl of stew. Now that's what has happened. And so, so ended up, uh, Jacob ended up getting, getting the, uh, the birthright and stole it basically from Esau because he gave it up gave it up and stole it there was two things going on there why would i bring that up is because medical doctors and politicians have traded their integrity their respect to the community the honor of the community for a bowl of beans that's essentially what they've done and they have they have uh their mothers who worked their rear off and their fathers, in, in many cases, to put them through school uh, should be horrified at the way they have behaved and damaged our communities, caused loss of life, suicide, overdoses, taken people's businesses from them. They should go to their dying grave, the, the supervisors, the medical community that has perpetrated lie after lie after lie after lie after fraud after fraud and manipulated and just simply repeated nonsense and and repeated the propaganda to scare the hell out of people now it says here uh the biden administration providing new guidance to coroners and medical examiners across the country for determining the cause of death from now on, doctors and officials who sign death certificates will be required to choose between COVID, climate change, or systematic racism to describe how a person died. Biden says, listen, folks, this is a lot easier. Uh, it's multiple choice. We know these three things are really the only evil forces at work that could be responsible for killing someone. It ain't that complicated, Jack, he says. Biden then immediately tripped and fell down the stairs, almost dying from climate change. Uh, so this is how stupid things are. Now, I don't know whether you believe me what I just said, but that's other people have said, according to the sources, some are working to add even homophobia and and the Trump syndrome as possible causes of death as well so wouldn't it be cool if you if you died and they said the cause of death is trump syndrome now that's how stupid this is now you might think lou you don't know what you're talking about you just read some article and you repeat it no 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 i didn't i didn't do that here here's here's when i first saw that there were lies going on the first two people that died of covid at right out hospital or or right out slash adventist hospital were they were later retracted them and they were people that had been in and out of the hospital repeatedly. They were on their last legs, as as the saying goes. And they were in their 80s and their 90s. And it had nothing to do with COVID. But the, they made headlines. COVID took the first two people. And they, the, county, the county doctor 
so hypocritical, such a fraud, it goes out and expresses her condolences to the family. Why would you express your condolences to a COVID family and you wouldn't express your condolences to every other family that died that day, people that died that day from gunshots, ran off the road, uh, choked on a hot dog, uh, you know, died of cancer. Why, if the if the county health official is going to express her condolences for all these, we got 12 or 14, 20, sometimes more than that, deaths every day in this community. Why don't they just uh, take part of the day and just read all the names? Dismiss every supervisor's meeting with 20 or 30 names on it. But it was all a fraud. It was all a front to just ram the the numbers of cases, which didn't mean people were sick. That was a fraudulent term. The number of cases could be you're healthy as a horse, you, you're not sick at all, but you tested positive because you had some COVID trash in your system. But they bumped those cases up to scare the hell out of everybody. And then, then they kept telling you everybody's dying of COVID. Now, I knew that was a lie because one day I was talking to a friend of mine who's a mortician. And he's a local mortician. And I was doing some business over there related to trauma intervention and going out on these calls. And I said, how's it going? I won't mention his name. How's it going? He said, it's, a, it's been crazy. I said, what do you mean crazy? He said, I got health officers, health department employees calling me, asking me to call the doctor to change the death certificate and add COVID to it as the cause of death. And he said, it puts me in between it where I got to take part in something that's dishonest. So I call the, the doctor and they get so furious with me that they say, well, I don't give a damn what you put on the thing. Just put something down there and tell them to do whatever they want. If they're going to lie, tell them to lie about whatever. Now, that's exactly what's going on. The supervisors hire the county health officer. The county health officer is a liar and fraud, committing fraud left and right. But it, it's actually blessed fraud. So we don't have a government that's based on honesty and truth anymore. What we have a government is that they just declare what's true today. So if, 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 if red is really red today, tomorrow it may be blue. And we're going to call red blue tomorrow. And that is the law tomorrow. And then the next day we may change and call red yellow tomorrow. So they just create truth as we go along. We no longer have a standard of truth you don't, you know, a plumb line or a level will tell you whether the corner's straight or the wall is straight. But if you don't have that, anybody can just say a crooked wall or a crooked anything or out of level thing is level as can be. That's what's going on in our country right now. And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to give you an article on gaslighting that should open your eyes. So what we're doing is a fraudulently, these numbers on COVID are just all jacked up. It's I wouldn't believe any of them, even the deaths to COVID. Why? Because if you compare the 2019 to 2020 deaths for all the typical diseases that people die of, the big, the big killers, cancer, cardiopulmonary, diabetes, da, 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 you know what happened to all those numbers? They shrunk. They all went down. You know why? Because county health officials like Dr. Lou and Yuba Sutter lied and changed those numbers to say COVID, 
It was all a big game. It's a big sham. It's a big scam. It's the Bernie Madoff of medical officers. She's a Bernie Madoff. She's a Charles Ponzi, right? It's all a scheme. Why'd she do that? Because she was told to. She's not a real medical doctor with professional ethics who swear to do no harm. What she is is a political hack and getting paid $300,000 a year to do what the politicians who don't, they can't even spell physician uh, are telling her above her. So uh, that's what's going on with the, the crock of, uh, so now we just as well, I, I'd be all for it. Let's just call it COVID-19, climate change, systematic racism, or you could just say all three, okay? So, uh, all right, I'm just going to leave that there. I got too much other stuff to talk about. So here's another one on Muslims. Um, we got a few few minutes here to finish our. Oh shoot, we're already half, almost halfway through the show. Anyway, um, Muslim parents. Uh, there's a lot. We don't have a lot of Muslims located in Yuba Sutter area. I I'm not disappointed at that. I I the ones I know I love, and uh, have good relationships with. But in some areas of the country, there's tens of thousands. And they have a real presence, and they, they want to change the way. They want to, this country to look more like the country they fled when, because they couldn't make a country successful. Muslims can't. And so they came here to have the and so they could just jump on the bandwagon, and then they want to change it to look like the country they came from. So Muslim parents demanded removal of pork in, in all schools, canteens, or school cafeterias in Montreal. That's Canada. But we have big Muslim populations in like Detroit and Michigan, big, right? So uh, school can cafeteria Muslim, they don't want to eat pork. They don't want to have pork. In other words, it, it, instead of the whole concept of I, I don't eat pork, so I'm just going to pick some other meat if I eat meat or I'm going to be a vegetarian. So instead, they don't want anybody to have any pork, right? That's what they're doing in Montreal or the suburbs. So the mayor of Dorval, a suburb of Montreal, refused, and he sent a note to all the parents to explain why. This is a quote. Muslims should be aware that they should adopt to Canada and Quebec their customs, traditions, and their way of life. Muslims, he goes on, he writes, must realize that they must integrate and learn to live in Quebec. They need to change their lifestyle, not Canadians who so generously welcomed them here. Like other peoples, he says, Canadians are not ready to give up their identity and their culture. Finally, they must understand that in Canada, in Quebec, with its Judeo-Christian roots, Christmas trees, churches, religious holidays, religion should remain a personal matter. Dorval municipality has the right to deny any discounts to Islam or Sharia. For Muslims who disagree with secularism and and don't feel comfortable in Canada, there are 57 wonderful Muslim countries in the world. Most of them are poorly populated and ready to accept them with open arms according to Sharia. If you left your country for Canada, not for other Muslim countries— it's because you believe life in Canada was better than some somewhere else. We will not allow you to bring Canada down to the level of those 57 Muslim countries. Ask yourself this question just once. 
Why is it better here in Canada than where you came from? The cafeteria with the pork in the menu is a part of the answer. If you come to Canada with the idea that you would displace us with your prolific spread and eventually take over the country, you would have to pack up and go back to where you came from. We don't want, we don't have room for you and your ideology. If you accept the situation, then stay. If not, pack up and leave. I think that fits a lot of these uh, situations of people coming to this country or they've been, they were raised here and now they think uh, they want to take their wealth and create a poor country out of it. Star Parker used to be a drug addict, welfare babe down in, I think, Venice Beach, uh, California, and then got converted to follow Jesus and changed her whole life around and now runs a, uh, I can't remember the something about urban something. She runs an organization now, but she's a great speaker and a great spokesperson for somebody who's been down at the bottom and to explain honestly how she got there and how she got out. So she says, those on the left who scream about income gaps choose to focus on the success of those at the very top rather than the failures of those at the very bottom. They conveniently ignore that liberals are the ones who have pushed the moral relativism and welfare state dependence. That has destroyed black families over the last 60 years. And so I won't get into a, a side uh, discussion on that other than to say that in the 40s and 50s, the, the big welfare state really didn't start till the 60s under President Johnson, Lyndon Johnson. But before the welfare state paid people to not work and paid women that were pregnant or women with children, as long as the man wasn't in the house, that meant a lot of men that were working at lower wage jobs uh, left the home, let the wife or the girlfriend take the welfare money, and they took, then they went and worked under the table. Prior to welfare in the 1960s, there was a higher number of male-led households in the black community than there were in the white community. That's an amazing thought. After going through all the Civil War and prejudice and difficulties of blacks coming out of slavery and then having to go out and find a job and settle in and deal with all kinds of nonsense— even with all that trouble, they held their families together and they had a higher percentage of whole families. That's a male and female in the family leading the family than the whites did. Now, that is a mouthful. And once they began giving out money to everybody, it damaged all um, ethnic groups, including whites. But it was particularly destructive to the black families. We'll be right back. We finished a half hour here or a half the show, and we'll be back for another three segments in just a second. How many times must I tell you, babe? How many bridges I've got to cross? How many times must I explain myself? Or I can talk to the boy. His 
history tells us that the Democratic Party and the Republican Party have two distinct legacies. The Republican Party's legacy includes the abolitionists, the NAACP, black colleges, the Emancipation Proclamation, and a multitude of civil rights legislation. The Democratic Party's legacy includes fugitive slave laws, black codes, the Dred Scott decision, Jim Crow laws, and the Ku Klux Klan. After completing my research on the legacies of both political parties, I had to ask myself, how can anyone pledge their loyalty to a political party whose legacy includes lies, lynching, litigation, and legislation that destroyed the lives of millions of blacks? That's when I decided to document my findings in my book, Unfounded Loyalty. In my brief, I told the court that in an effort to impede and deny African Americans the same constitutional rights afforded to all American citizens, the Democratic Party established a pattern of practices by promoting, supporting, sponsoring, financing racially biased entertainment, education, legislation, litigation, and terrorist organizations from 1792 to 1962 and continue certain practices up to 2002. The Democrats' 210 years of racist practices and cover-ups not only negatively affected the entire black race, but these practices infected the entire nation with the most contagious and debilitating social disease known to mankind called racism. Finally, during the past 21 decades, the Democrats successfully disguised and concealed their horrific acts against African Americans by operating and committing these acts under a multitude of aliases. Aliases names like the Confederacy, Jim Crow, Black Codes, Dixiecrats, and the Ku Klux Klan. Congressional records and historical documents and letters and testimonies from several brave black citizens revealed that these weren't separate independent organizations, but they were actual auxiliaries and divisions and or the legislative efforts of the Democratic Party. Senate Bill number 60 was a bill to give African Americans 40 acres and a mule. It was a done deal. We wouldn't be talking about reparations today had the Democratic president at that time signed the bill into law. Democratic President Andrew Johnson vetoed Senate Bill 60. That's why we're still talking about reparations today. Every effort to stop blacks from having the same rights as white citizens was the proud work of the Democratic Party. Um, Sir Day, we're out here in Salt Lake City. You just, you just turned 18 today. You're out here homeless. Tell me about it. Yeah, I just came out of wilderness, a place called Second Nature and Duchesne Desert. And my mom basically said, once you turn 18, you're on your own. It's 
So I'm here about Salt Lake, finding a place to stay for the night or find my way back to California. So you're originally from California? Yes, I am. And basically you're stranded here? Yeah. Now how long have you been out on the streets? This is my first day. Today's my 18th birthday. Today's your 18th birthday and you're out here homeless? Yes. Oh my gosh. I, 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 I don't know what to say. Um, do you have any idea where you're headed, just trying to get back, or goals? I'm, I'm trying to get back to California, that's my main goal right now. I mean, once I get there, I hope to finish high school. And if you had three wishes, what would they be? Um, that my father still was alive, um, to see my sisters, and to get home. Like a lot of people, I love to smoke, but my friends and family always make me go outside to do it. So that's why I now use E-Meth. It's crystal meth, but electronic, so it produces vapor instead of smoke. And that means I can ride the ice pony anywhere I want. Smoking is a social thing for me. Without my meth pipe, I don't know what to do with my hands. But now I do know what to do with them. Smoke meth. <clears throat> Good. Thanks to Emeth, now I don't even need to leave the bar to get my sweet shabu shabu. Mama can smoke that chunky white crunch anywhere at the office, at the grocery store, in a bathtub in the middle of the road, or face down in a big old tire. Emeth is healthier because it doesn't contain antifreeze, but it still has that great meth taste. Emeth lets me get totally gacked up on whoop chicken without yellowing my teeth. See? Perfectly white. What? Hello? This is he. Thanks to E-Meth, I can now even smoke inside my favorite restaurant. Excuse me, sir. You can't smoke meth in here. It's okay. It's electronic. I don't care. You in my living room, and you naked! E-Meth is not for everyone. Talk to your doctor if you experience body wrap. Face melt, painful death, or fatigue. From Rocky Mountain to Northeast Tennessee, where the river flows with a dusty cold disease. And the babies whine because they can't find nothing to But mama, she ain't hungry no more She's waiting for a knock on the trailer door It's gonna rock you like a hurricane It's gonna rock you till you lose sleep It's gonna rock you till you're out of a job It's gonna rock you till you're out on the street It's gonna rock you till you're down on your knees It's gonna have you begging pretty All right, welcome back, and we're going to uh, get going on our second half of the show. I want to give some credit where credit is due today, but I wanted to tell you again, uh, we're having real success with uh, getting addicts uh, into medical care and getting addicts uh, the help they need to try to make a change. I'm not guaranteeing anybody's success uh, being addicted to anything. 
having a, an, any kind of addiction, whether it's a food addiction, whatever kind of addiction, medic, you know, pain pills, uh, diet pills, all kinds of stuff, eating, is tough to quit. It's tough to change. Habits, good or bad, are tough to change. So uh, Dr. Cassidy, uh, Joe Cassidy and I uh, have tag-teamed. I am not a doctor, but I worked with him to help find people that uh, are desperate for help and don't know where to go and, or have tried to get some help and can't find a way because of the bureaucracy of government. And we have a horrible bureaucracy here in the Yuba Sutter area, Yuba Sutter Behavioral Health or Sutter Yuba Behavioral Health, where it is difficult for a whole person that is not addicted to get through the system and get evaluated, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and it is uh, to expect a, a sick addict, a person that's physically ill and not thinking correctly. And the addicts I see in my neighborhood, they don't even have shoes on. And, and hardly have their clothes straightened on. They're so goofed up. To expect that is crazy. So anyway, I won't I won't prolong that, but the, we're having some good successes. So if you're out there uh, today listening and uh, you're struggling with opiate addiction from maybe pain pills you were taking from uh, docs for uh, legit surgery or whatever, uh, that's very common. In fact, that's one of the most common ways that teenagers get strung out on opiates is by uh, being given uh, oxys or narcos at the dentist. And uh, then when they, uh, the pain goes and they're past the pain, they keep taking them and then they like them and then they uh, try to get another prescription. And when they can't get any more, then they buy them on the streets. They're very expensive on the streets. If you get strung out on the pills on the streets, they're very expensive on the streets. They're very cheap if you get a prescription. But if you buy them on the street, they're very expensive because they're so popular. And so what happens is people can't get, can't afford to keep up with what the pills. So then they, heroin is much cheaper. Fentanyl, very, very much cheaper. And, uh, but it'll kill you. And so uh, we, uh, Dr. Cassie and I, we, we put out some, some small uh, three, th- three by three or four by four uh, card stock with our names and numbers and what we'll do for people. Now, we'll help them if they want and they want to continue using opiates. We'll help them get a Narcan prescription, which then if their their friend goes down, overdoses, they can just squirt it into their nose and, and they, it will counteract the heroin or the opiates. So that will save a life without calling. You know, we're waiting for three or four minutes for 911 to get there. So we'll help them with that. We'll help them get into a rehab. We'll help them get into a doctor's appointment and get evaluated on maybe there's other issues in your life, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So if you need help, I'm going to give you a couple numbers. Now I'm not, uh, what I want you to do if you need addiction help is call Peachtree Health or Peachtree Clinic in Yuba Sutter area, either one, and uh, <clears throat> ask for an appointment with Dr. Joe Cassidy. And uh, if, if there's any goofiness, or they're not uh, they're not making it easy for you, or they're saying he's too busy, or he's full, or he doesn't take patients, then just excuse yourself, be nice. And then uh, I'm going to give you his number, and you can text him. Now, text him instead of call, because doctors are busy, and he, I don't want you waking him up in the middle of the night. Just shoot him a text. 530-682-8648. I'll give it to you again. 530-682-8648. So uh, text him and just say, 
say your name, you need some addiction help, and can I get an appointment? And, put your, and of course, he'll have your number. Now, if for some reason he doesn't get back to you or you lose that number or something, I'm going to give you my number. I already gave it out once, but uh, you can share it around, 530-713-1838. That's... Uh, that's my number, 530-713-1838. And you can text or call me either way. doesn't bother me a bit. And I will help connect you up with the appointment, and we'll get, we'll get everything you need. I was just on the phone earlier today with someone that's got some big issues, and um, I, all of them are solvable. All of, all of them are solvable. They may not seem like they're solvable when you're really at the bottom, but I'm telling you, I've, I have all kinds of friends that have been at the bottom in the prison system, in the jail system, uh, out in the streets, living in the river bottoms, and they're doing great today, and they never thought they could have it so good. So we're going to help you if you'll give us a chance. So Dr. Joe Cassidy, and uh, and call those numbers, text those numbers, and um, and we'll help you. When you're ready, we're ready, okay? So he's also a supporter of the show. Also, uh, Nelly, uh, D- uh, Nelly Garcia with North Valley Paralegal is helping this show now. And you, if you want um, somebody that really cares about your case, she's going to put her heart and soul into it. She's an honest woman, and uh, she'll work her rear off. She's uh, She stays up as late as I do, which not many people do. So uh, her number is 530-751-9289, 530-751-9289. She's here in Sutter County. But she's right at the base of the 10th Street Bridge. She's on Sutter Street and uh, 751 Sutter. And uh, it's easy to get to from either, any county. Uh, it's very easy. So uh, she'll do all your legal work a lot cheaper than an attorney would. She'll do it. She's nicer. She's easier to get into. She's pleasant. She doesn't think she's, you know, she's not full of herself uh, like attorneys are. And she's honest, which is a big, big plus, right? So the other people that that really make a difference for for us here is the plumbing doctor, which is 530-671-9111, 24 hours a day. You need plumbing help, 530-671-9111. Dave Greenitz Construction. Dave Greenitz, Ted Holmes with Plumbing Doctor, and I have been working together in some volunteer work out of Glad Tidings. We're kind of doing a lot of remodel out there. They're all up to the – they do lots of volunteer work, these guys. But the work they do for pay is top-notch. They're honest people. They tell you they do what they say they're going to do. They'll be there on time. So check out greenitzconstruction.com, green with E-T-Z on the end, or Dave Greenitz Construction Facebook site. And at either site, you're going to see things that, that are going to impress you. And I'm not going to put a lot of adjectives on it. I'm just going to say go there if you're going to spend 10 15 20 30 40 thousand dollars on a kitchen bathroom etc remodel 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 an entryway something uh you don't want to risk somebody somebody knows somebody tried somebody and it worked out good or whatever whatever uh just go use the best these guys have been around for 40 years so if you want to do old school, I'll give you a phone number, 530-682-9602. You can text or phone that, 530-682-9602. And the, the final person that's been a major supporter here for probably the longest time, uh, Elite Universal Security, along with Dave Greenitz. If you are losing your stuff, and I'm telling you, there are thefts everywhere. 
people are ripping people off everywhere because there's so many people strung out on drugs and there's no penalties now to steal stealing they just cite and release it's like catching a fish and releasing them so people are just saying hey nobody's going to do anything so they're literally going in and walking out with their with your stuff you know your your uh products you for sale or whatever and uh the the in marysville the homeless people and tweakers and and heroin addicts have the run of the city it, they've taken over the city i drove drove by walgreens uh i think it was today or yesterday and people were just laying laying around like walruses on at at uh uh fisherman's wharf in in san francisco we used to go to fisherman's wharf back in the days when you could go to san francisco and it was decent and and just walruses and all these creatures down there just hanging out in the sun. That's just going on all around Walgreens, right across the street from where I live. Uh, I live right behind Taco Bell and Marysville. And across the street, there's a Walgreens. Been there for years. Been a very nice store. And now it's just being trashed by homeless people that are are out of their minds. And somehow that judges and uh, got the government here government everywhere is thinking that's humanitarian to le- let people human beings that were once a baby in their mother's arms laying out on a hot sidewalk out of their minds and nobody's going to do an intervention and uh, deal with them and uh, it is just tragic and uh, uh, I hope that there's a place in hell for people that run counties and cause cause people to uh, die from this way because they, there's no reason why they have to, uh, and to just chase them around. But but it's uh, I'm waiting for the day when the Walgreens in Marysville closes, because they're not going to be put put up with this. In fact, the, the Walmart in in Linda uh, just was a skosh from closing. So uh, guys like Elite Universal Security, Monty Hecker can can help if you have a business where you're just getting your getting your uh, shirt stolen right off your back. Uh, I forget who it was the other day told me that somebody needed to put up a, a, a uh, razor wire on top of their fence and the building department, it, even though there's razor wire all over town, the building department told them they couldn't. That's what's wrong. We got some really screwy government officials. We, we have government that is, uh, it's just simply dysfunctional. It can't function. And we're just paying people. It just like we just got through paying school teachers for the last year and a half. And what'd you get for it? It's like going in. You know, it'd be like what I'd like to take into some union leaders, school union leaders, and take them to a nice restaurant, you know. Like maybe the French Laundry, $300, $350 a plate. And get them in there. And and uh, and then have them serve the, like, the hors d'oeuvres and maybe a little salad. And then ask, then bring the bill out and have them all panic. That's what happened to all the parents of California. They got billed for a year and a half of school, but their kids didn't get any benefits, right? They didn't actually produce. It's like going to the French Laundry for a multi-course, top-of-the-line, amazing dinner. I've never been there, but I heard about it. And uh, and getting hors d'oeuvres, getting maybe your drinks, and then getting a little salad, and then they send the bill and say, it's it. That's what you're getting tonight. Normally we give a lot more, but tonight that's all you're getting. And being happy and going home. But the the politicians in California are so egotistical 
and so full of themselves and such communists that they they don't even uh, they aren't even red faced about it. Kids lost a year of their lives, a year of their relationships with their friends, a year of education. And yet the taxes are the same. Our majority of our taxes go for education in California. And that money was given to teachers and teachers union people. And who got screwed? The kids and the parents. Elite Universal Security is a top-notch security operation for government, business, and, and, and private folks. But they have property or they have their house. They'll, they can figure out strategies on to secure your house with all the technology and all that kind of stuff. They have the typical guards that stand guard at entrances and all that kind of stuff. You know, in third world countries, that's when I first saw, we'd go into a grocery store and there would be guards, hired guards in the grocery store and packing. And I thought, oh, come on. These guys are serious, right? And they just kept the foolishness down to a minimum. So Elite Universal Security, if you want a job, you're a good person, you want to go work. By the way, there's help wanted ads everywhere. By the way, if anybody needs a job, shoot me a text because uh, Liftoff Floors contacted me. Ted Holmes also runs, besides Plumbing Doctor, runs Liftoff Floor Removal. And he he was calling me last week, said, Lou, I need to hire three or four guys right away, like today. So uh, it's heavy work, but it's good work. And uh, they got a lot of work going on. So if you want a job, uh, give me a shout out. They are felon friendly. So as long as you can work hard and uh, not come to come to work loaded or not do stupid stuff, right? You just had a, a, a hiccup in your background. They they don't care about that. So uh, you can call, uh, you can text me and I'll get you hooked up with the, with the liftoff floor people. But if you want to work for as a, as a guard for Elite Universal Security, call them at 530-749-0280. Okay, all right, we're going to head on here. We're going to move on down the track and and talk, talk, talk for some. Uh, all right. Uh, I want to talk about gaslighting. That's what I want to talk about. You heard this term around? People say, you're gaslighting me. They gaslighted me, right? Um. So let me let me see if I can find this. Got so much COVID stuff, I need to weigh through that, and then I'll get down here. Okay, here we go. So you ever heard the term gaslighting, and you thought, oh, I think I, I know what it means. You ever did that? Oh, yeah. Do you know what that means? They said, oh, yeah, yeah. You say, I know what it means. They say, well, tell me what it means. And you think, ah, oh, no, I wish you wouldn't have asked that. So this guy uh, uh, wrote this uh, document, which is really great. So he, di- he says, did you know what is gaslighting? So he said the term, and, and the reason, I just don't, I'm just not trying to pitch you on gaslighting and so you'll understand it, but I, I want you to see how you're being psychologically manipulated by the government and, and by different industries. The term gaslighting originates in the systematic psychological manipulation of a victim by her husband. You ever heard people uh, saying it wasn't physical abuse, but it was mental abuse? Abuse of a child, abuse of a husband, abuse of a a woman. So uh, 
the term originated in the systematic psychological manipulation of a victim by her husband in Patrick Hamilton's 1938 stage play Gaslight. Look it up. Gaslight, 1938 stage play. And then they had film adaptations that were released in 1940 and 44. In the story, here's how gaslighting works. In the story, the husband attempts to convince his wife and others that she is insane by manipulating small elements of their environment and insisting that she's mistaken when she thinks there's been a change. Remembering uh, she's mistaken and she's remembering things incorrectly. The husband's convincing her of this. Or delusional when she points out these changes. The play's title alludes to how the abusive husband slowly dims the gaslights in their home while pretending nothing has changed in an effort to make his wife doubt her own perceptions. The wife repeatedly asks her husband's to con- husband to confirm her perceptions about, like, honey, the, it seems dim in here. Can't you turn up the lights, right? She, say, she keeps thinking the lights are getting dim because they are. But in defiance of reality, he keeps insisting that the lights are just fine. Instead, it is she who is going insane. So he said, honey, I don't know. It's been bright in here for me, really bright. And I think you're just losing it. I don't know. Maybe you should go to the doctor. So this guy that wrote this says, we are right now living through an era a perpetual state of gaslighting. So how does this translate from a husband and wife and the husband's trying to drive his wife crazy by insinuating reality isn't really reality. Okay. So, um, here we go. I got about a minute and a half. Then we'll break and take this over in the next section. This guy says, the reality that we are being told by the media is at complete odds with what we are seeing with our own two eyes. For example, when we question the false reality that we are being presented, or we claim that what we see is that actual reality, we are vilified as racists or bigots or just plain crazy. You're not racist. You're not crazy. You're being gaslighted. New York State has twice as many deaths from COVID-19 than any other state, and New York has accounted for one-fifth of all COVID deaths. But we are told that New York Governor Andrew Cuomo has handled a pandemic better than any other governor. But if we support policies of the governors whose states had only a fraction of the infections and deaths as New York compared to New York, we're called anti-science and want people to die. So we ask ourselves, am I crazy? No, you're being gaslighted. We see mobs of people looting stores like Neiman Marcus recently in San Francisco and Walgreens, smashing windows, setting cars on fire, burning down buildings. But we are told that these demonstrations are actually peaceful protests. And when we call this destruction of our city's riots and such, we are called racists. So we ask ourselves, am I crazy? No, you're being gaslighted. We'll be right back, and I'll pick this up and finish the article. It's very interesting, and I think you'll never forget the term gaslighting.
Nowhere have intellectuals seen racial issues as issues about intertemporal abstractions more so than in discussions of slavery. Moreover, few facts of history have been so distorted by highly selective filtering as has the history of slavery. To many people today, slavery means white people holding black people in bondage. The vast millions of people around the world who were neither white nor black, but who were either slaves or enslavers for centuries, fade out of this vision of slavery as if they had never existed, even though they may well have outnumbered both blacks and whites. It has been estimated that there were more slaves in India than in the entire Western Hemisphere. China, during the era of slavery, has been described as one of the largest and most comprehensive markets for the exchange of human beings in the world. Slaves were a majority of the population in some of the cities in Southeast Asia. At some period or other in history, as John Stuart Mill pointed out, almost every people, now civilized, have consisted, in majority, of slaves. When Abraham Lincoln said, If slavery is not wrong, nothing is wrong, he was expressing an idea peculiar to Western civilization at that time, and by no means universally accepted throughout Western civilization. What seems almost incomprehensible today is that there was no serious challenge to the moral legitimacy of slavery prior to the 18th century. Christian monasteries in Europe and Buddhist monasteries in Asia both had slaves. Even Thomas More's fictional ideal society, Utopia, had slaves. Although intellectuals today may condemn slavery as a historic evil of our society, what was peculiar about Western society was not that it had slaves, like other societies around the world, but that it was the first civilization to turn against slavery and that it spent more than a century destroying slavery, not only within Western civilization itself, but also in other countries around the world, over the often bitter and sometimes armed resistance of people in other societies. Only the overwhelming military power of Western nations during the age of imperialism made this possible. Slavery did not quietly die out of its own accord. It went down fighting to the bitter end in countries around the world, and it has still not totally died out to this day in parts of the Middle East and Africa. It is the image of racial slavery, white people enslaving black people, that has been indelibly burned into the consciousness of both black and white Americans today by the intelligentsia, and not simply as a fact about the past, but as a causal factor used to explain much of the present, and an enduring moral condemnation of the enslaving race. Yet two crucial facts have been filtered out of this picture. One, the institution of slavery was not based on race, and two, whites as well as blacks were enslaved. The very word slave is derived from the name of a European people, Slavs, who were enslaved for centuries before the first African was brought in bondage to the Western Hemisphere. It was not only in English that the word for slave derived from the word for Slav, the same was true in various other European languages, and in Arabic. For most of the history of slavery, which covers most of the history of the human race, most slaves were not racially different from those who enslaved them. Not only did Europeans and Europeans 
Asians enslaved other Asians, Africans enslaved other Africans, Polynesians enslaved other Polynesians, and the indigenous peoples of the Western Hemisphere enslaved other indigenous peoples of the Western Hemisphere. Moreover, after it became both technologically and economically feasible to transport masses of slaves from one continent to another, that is, to have a whole population of slaves of a different race, Europeans as well as Africans were enslaved and transported from their native lands to bondage on another continent. Pirates alone transported a million Europeans as slaves to the Barbary coast of North Africa, at least twice as many European slaves as there were African slaves transported to the United States and to the thirteen colonies from which it was formed. Moreover, white slaves were still being bought and sold in the Islamic world decades after blacks had been freed in the United States. What marked the modern era of slavery in the West was the fact that, as distinguished historian Daniel Borston pointed out, now, for the first time in Western history, the status of slave coincided with the difference of race. But to claim that race or racism was the basis of slavery is to cite as a cause something that happened thousands of years after its supposed effect. As for the legacy of slavery in the world of today, that is something well worth investigating, as distinguished from simply making sweeping assumptions. Too many assumptions that have been made about the effects of slavery on both blacks and whites will not stand up under scrutiny. Back during the era of slavery in the United States, such prominent writers as the French visitor and observer Alexis de Tocqueville, northern traveler in the antebellum South, Frederick Law Olmsted, and prominent southern writer Hinton Helper all pointed to striking differences between the North and the South, and attributed the deficiencies of the southern region to the effects of slavery on the white population of the South. These differences between northern and southern whites were not merely perceptions or stereotypes, they were factually demonstrable in areas ranging from literacy rates to rates of unwed motherhood, as well as in attitudes toward work and violence. But attributing these differences to slavery ignored the fact that the ancestors of white southerners differed in these same ways from the ancestors of white northerners, when they both lived in different parts of Britain and when neither had ever seen a black slave. Does the moral enormity of slavery give it any more decisive causal weight in explaining the situation of blacks today than it did in explaining that of whites in the antebellum South? There is no a priori answer to that question, which must be examined empirically, like many other questions. The fact that so many black families today consist of women with fatherless children has been said by many to be a legacy of slavery. Yet most black children grew up in two-parent families, even under slavery itself, and for generations thereafter. As recently as 1960, two-thirds of black children were still living in two-parent families. A century ago, a slightly higher percentage of blacks were married than were whites. In some years, a slightly higher percentage of blacks were in the labor force than were whites. The reasons for changes for the worse in these and other patterns must be sought in our own times. Whatever the reasons for the disintegration of the black family, it escalated to the current disastrous level well over a century after the end of slavery, though less than a generation after a large expansion of the welfare state and its accompanying non-judgmental ideology. 
To say that slavery will not bear the full weight of responsibility for all subsequent social problems among black Americans is not to say that it had negligible consequences among either blacks or whites, or that its consequences ended when slavery itself ended. But this is only to say that answers to questions about either slavery or race must be sought in facts, not in assumptions or visions, and certainly not in attempts to reduce questions of causation to only those which provide moral melodramas and an opportunity for the intelligentsia to be on the side of the angels. Just as Western Europeans in post-Roman times benefited from the fact that their ancestors had been conquered by the Romans, with all the brutality and oppression that entailed, blacks in America today have a far higher standard of living than most Africans in Africa as a result of their ancestors being enslaved, with all the injustices and abuses that entailed. There is no question that both conquest and enslavement were traumatic experiences for those on whom they were inflicted, nor is either morally justified by whatever benefits might come of this to subsequent generations of their offspring. But history cannot be undone, nor does conceiving of races as intertemporal abstractions have any such track record as to make it look like a promising approach to the present or the future. So you ask, we ask ourselves, am I crazy? No, you're being gaslighted. The United States of America accepts, this is a fact, the United States of America accepts more immigrants than any other country in the world. In fact, I think we accept more than all countries put together. The vast majority of immigrants are people of color. And these immigrants are enjoying freedom and economic opportunity not available to them in their country of origin. But we in the United States are told that we're the most racist and oppressive country on the planet. And if we disagree, we are called racist and xenophobic. So we ask ourselves, are we crazy? No, we're being gaslighted. Capitalist countries are the most prosperous countries in the world, bar none. The standard of living is the highest in capitalist countries. We see more people move up the economic ladder to the middle and even wealthy class through their effort and ability in capitalist countries than any other economic system in the world. But we are told capitalism is an oppressive system designed to keep people down. Huh. So we ask ourselves, am I crazy? No, you're being gaslighted. Communist countries are some of the most screwed up countries in the, in the, in the world and always have been. They've killed over 100 million people just in the 20th century. We're not counting the 21st century, which we're in now. I'm just saying 100 million people were killed by communists in communist countries in the 20th century. 
Communist countries strip their citizens of basic human rights, dictate every aspect of their lives, treat their citizens like slaves, and drive their economies into the ground. But we are told that communism or socialism is the fairest, most equitable, freest, and most prosperous economic system in the world. So we ask ourselves, am I crazy? No, you're being gaslighted. The most egregious example of gaslighting is the concept of white fragility. You spend your life trying to be a good person. You try to treat people fairly and with respect. You disavow racism and bigotry in all its forms. You judge people fairly on the content of the, their character and not by the color of their skin. You don't discriminate based on race or ethnicity, but you are told that you were a racist, not because of something you said or you did, but solely because of the color of your skin. You know instinctively that changing, that charging someone with racism because of their skin color is itself racist. You know that you are not a racist, so you defend yourself and your character, but you are told that your defense of yourself is proof of your racism. So we ask ourselves, are we crazy? No, nope, we're being gaslighted. Gaslighting has become one of the most pervasive and destructive tactics in American politics. Now, you may think, how subtle is this? A husband slowly turns down the gaslight and convinces his wife everything's as bright as ever. And she's going crazy, whereas he's deviant and trying to kill her, ruin her life, cause her to go insane. All the propaganda and the the props and the approaches of wear a mask, wear two masks, wash your hands incessantly. Don't go outside. If you have to go outside, don't stand near other people. Don't touch anyone. Don't hug anyone. That is gaslighting people, tell you, telling you that you are in danger of dying a terrible death. But the fact is you aren't. But they are creating an environment that, that is the same type of environment of very serious illnesses like smallpox or typhoid, cholera, right? Never in the history of the world have people that are completely healthy been told to stay inside their homes. Says gaslighting has become one of the most pervasive and destructive tactics in American politics. It is the exact opposite of what our political system is meant to be. It deals in lies and psychological coercion and not the truth and in intellectual discourse. What COVID, the COVID mandates dealt with psychological manipulation, intimidation, fear, and coercion, and not truth and in intellectual discourse. If you ever ask yourself if you're crazy, you are not. Crazy people aren't sane enough to ask themselves if they're crazy or not. So trust yourself. Believe what's in your heart. Trust eyes, your eyes over what you're told. Trust what you see, not what you're told. Because these people are liars. Never listen to people who tell you that you are crazy because you are not. You're being gaslighted. Sophocles said, what people believe prevails over the truth. I'll say that again. 
What people believe prevails over the truth. And that's what the media is trying to exploit, take advantage of. Unfortunately, what the media presents as truth, and so many have believed, it's just not true. You're being gaslighted. So I want to talk about the breakdown of um, commonly shared values, respecting other people, their space, their turf, respecting other people's uh, ways of life. They're, they're dealing with how they raise their children, how they run their businesses, how they go about life, Respect, respecting those things, respecting you go in a store and you wouldn't think of taking anything. You find something on the ground, a wallet with money in it, you turn it in, right? Those are strong moral values that separate a community or a country or a culture from others. So now we have, because of the breakdown and the feeling that a law, breakdown of law, of values, laws are just the extension of our commonly held norms and beliefs and commonly held and commonly shared. But when you have a government that is communist or radical or anarchist, you have people that are thinking that it's all right for brown people to go in and take what they want out of a big corporation, like Walmart, Home Depot, Lowe's, Walgreens, Neiman Marcus. They can just go take it because... Those people ripped off the poor people to get what they had, which is a total lie, complete lie. So what's happening now is a breakdown of capitalism. Capitalism, there is no economic force or method in the world that has raised so many people so quickly out of poverty. Communism will take a very successful country and cause it to be poverty-stricken. And so when you have uh, all the, the phil- early philosophers said, if you can't secure people's private property, their possessions, you'll have a breakdown in society. And right now politicians are endorsing letting people go in and take what they, whatever they want out of uh, people's businesses. So looters were, were captured on video Monday, this last Monday, ransacking a Neiman Marcus store in San Francisco as thefts continued to plague businesses throughout the area. People just come in and take stuff. They just fill bags up and walk out because the police aren't arresting people because the, uh, the uh, district attorney down there says we, they deserve to take it. That's his view. At least nine suspects smashed display cases, snatched handbags, and, and jetted out of the building before law enforcement arrived at the scene about 6 p.m., According to the video, the suspects were seen running out of the store with their hands full of merchandise before entering an apparent getaway car that sped off down a busy intersection. The police department has not made any arrest in connection with the incident, although it is analyzing videos, da-da-da-da-da. Neiman Marcus said no one was harmed during the theft. Now, that's a politically correct response as well. We really don't worry about the merchandise. Uh, we're really worrying about our staff. A friend of mine uh, was working at Dollar Tree and uh, or Dollar Store, some one of the Dollar somethings, 
And a guy came in there and took a bunch of stuff. She stopped him and did a takedown on him because she's a strong person. She got fired for stopping the person. We're in a breakdown of we're, we're under a spirit of stupid in this country and nonsense, spirit of nonsense. So w- the safety says here, uh, spokesman for the company, Neiman Marcus, this is so baloney. This is such a BS from Neiman Marcus. The safety and welfare of our associates, those are our employees and customers, is our top priority. And we're relieved to report that no one was hurt in the incident. We're cooperating with the police department in the investigation, okay? So the people came in with garbage bags and just filled them up with what they wanted with hair products. Can you imagine breaking in? It's one thing to break in a starved person with ribs showing, taking food. But somebody taking hair products uh, and uh, like in June, before this incident, in June, just a month ago, a person came in, filled a garbage bag with hair products, and just got on a bicycle and rode off. Security guard who was recording the incident tried to grab the individual, though he eluded. So let, let me tell you what the impact here is. When I first read this statistic, when it was 10 Walgreens, I thought it was for the whole state of California. When I heard 10, I thought it was, when I read the article on Walgreens, which I thought was doing great as a store. I liked the store. They, uh, I thought it was going to say Walgreens was closing down some of its more profitable stores because I think that said 10 Walgreens closed or something. When I read the article, it was meaning 10 Walgreens had voluntarily closed even though they were profitable in their sales. There was so much theft that, the, that it ate up all the profit and sent them into a loss. So now we've gone from 10 Walgreens, drugstores, pharmacies, closed in San Francisco. They just said, we can't make any money here because people, there's no law enforcement. If the government, the reason that citizens, pioneers, decided to create government was what for? For emergency services. And the first was they didn't they didn't have ambulances right, they didn't they didn't have the emergency medical that we have now. The first thing they wanted was protection. They wanted a military and they wanted police. But when the police are being uh, defanged and disarmed by the government, and you take away the tools of policing, people will bail. So. Uh, Walgreens has closed 17 sales-wise, it was profitable, stores in San Francisco in the past five years. 17 stores. And the company said that thefts in the area are four times more likely than anywhere else in the United States of America. As executives budgeted 35 times more for security personnel to guard the chains. 35 times more than security to guard the chains than they used to. What changed? We just simply decided to let people run amok, lay out on the street, shit on themselves, pee all over themselves, roll around in their own feces, have sores all over their body, don't even speak English anymore. They, they just speak a language of the unknown. Blah, 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 talking out into the nonsense, right? 
filthy. If I had children in this part of town, I would not stay here. I live, I live as an adult here. I can handle my own business. But if, even if I had a wife, I would wonder whether I wanted her here or not. It's so ridiculous in downtown Marysville. Four times more likely than anywhere else in the country, uh, thefts four times as high. 35 times more they're paying for security than they used to to guard the chains. Target executives in the city, that's Target stores, also decided to limit business hours in response to an uptick in larceny, stealing. That's exactly what stores are doing here in Marysville, in the Marysville area. I can't speak for Sutter County, Yuba City. That's exactly what's going on. They're locking up a lot of the merchandise, so if a person wants it, they have to get a, a customer rep has to go and open up those items because people have no scruples anymore. Shoppers can no longer buy products in the chains after 6 p.m. after once being permitted to shop until 10. Like at Food Max right now where I shop in Linden and Yuba City some, after a certain hour, they shut down their entrance and just have, they have an entrance in one part of the store and then an exit in another part of the store. And now after a certain time in the evening, you can only go in and out in the same door. For more than a month, we've been experiencing a significant alarming rise in theft and security incidents in our San Francisco stores, a spokesman for Target said. I can't wait to see this first Target leave San Francisco. I, I think it's only a matter of time. San Francisco Police Lieutenant Tracy McRae faulted District, District Attorney Chesa, C-H-E-S-O, Boudin, his criminal first agenda for the uptick in theft incidents what happened in walgreens has been going on in the city for quite a while said mccray i'm used to it i mean we could have had we could have a greatest hits compilation you ever seen those greatest hits on youtube like greatest football hits where people are knocking people down or greatest hits where they're knocking the ball out of the park or you know greatest pitches or whatever so she says we could have our greatest hits comp compilation of people just walking in and cleaning out the store shelves and security guards, the people who work there, just standing by helplessly because they can't do one thing about it. That is the breakdown of society, people. That is not easy to restore. The criminal first agenda uh, Chesa Boudin was put into power by George Soros. His parents, both sets of his parents, his adoptive parents or his pinch hitter parents and his original parents were all Weatherman underground criminals who were punished for blowing up people and blowing up buildings during the 1960s and 70s. The criminal's first agenda from the district attorney is to blame, this, this uh, police officer said. Because he's not prosecuting any of those crimes as felonies or as a commercial burglary. This is going to get slapped down to a misdemeanor. In other words, breaking up Neiman Marcus, it's a misdemeanor. And that, does, that means they're not even going to be held in jail and probably not even prosecuted. Thefts under $950 are considered a misdemeanor. It used to be like... Any type of theft over $500 back in the day was a felony. 
Thefts under $950 are considered a misdemeanor in McRae's area of operation, she added. And suspected criminals are often issued citations instead of spending time in jail ahead of their court date. In some cases, she said, thieves will have their case thrown out if they, even if they skip to court, a failure to appear. You find that amazing? I, I just find that totally, uh, totally amazing. I may come back to this, but I, I want to j- jump down here because I got a call from uh, a Butte County young woman. I, actually, it wasn't a call. It was a, uh, I keep forgetting this. It was an email on Lou at, at NoHostagesRadio.com. And she said, I listened to your podcast, and she said, I'm trying to go to work back at Chico State College or Cal State University Chico, as they call it now. And she said, they're telling me I got to have a vaccine and I don't want a vaccine and I got to do this and I got to do that. And so I hooked her up with some people to try to help her. I haven't heard back from her since. In fact, if you're listening, give me a shout out or a text 530-713-1838 or you can email me. You already know how to email me and let me know how it's going. So uh, let me let me just tell you the high points. This was an article written by Katie Grimes in the California Globe. If you're wondering about a good newspaper, get the the uh, Epoch Times. But the California Globe is online. Uh, it, I don't even think they put out a hard copy, but sh- but there's a lot of great articles. Katie Grimes says, in what may become precedent-setting legal cases, three California U- State University Chico students who have recovered, they actually got ill and recovered because students don't die of COVID, are suing, they're suing suing the state school, saying the California university system's requirement that they receive a vaccine before returning to class in the fall places them at risk of dying. You bet it does. Eight, and then eight Indiana university students also filed a federal lawsuit against the state school, alleging that it's... uh, Vaccine requirement violates both their constitutional right and the state's new anti-vaccine passport law. We'll be right back to wrap up our evening, day, however, whatever it means to you. Americans, the how and the why of our beloved republic are so much better known and understood than the who. The United States of America was born in 1776, but it was conceived 169 years before that. The earliest settlers had watered the new world with much sweat. They had built substantial holdings for themselves, for their families. And when the time came to separate themselves from a tyranny an ocean away, At best, it meant starting all over again after the ravages of war. Researching what you're about to hear gave a whole new dimension to my reverence for our nation's first citizens. All others of the world's revolutions, before and since, were initiated by men who had nothing to lose. Nothing to lose. Our founders had everything to lose. 
and nothing to gain, except one thing. Hello, Americans. I'm Paul Harvey. You remember the cherry tree fiction. A long time after you have forgotten the more earth-shaking history-making episodes in the life of George Washington, you have misplaced in your memory the details of Ben Franklin's statesmanship, but you remember his flying a kite. Joyce Kilmer was a great military hero. But the only thing you personally recall about him is his poetic tribute to trees. Maybe of this current decade, that which will be remembered best will not be its wars and its moon rockets or its crumbling frontiers or the giants who lived and died. Maybe all that will survive to linger in the day-by-day -day vocabulary of generations yet unborn may be the, the songs of a Memphis minstrel or the reincarnation of electric automobiles. But for any eve of the 4th of July, I, Paul Harvey, do herewith bequeath unto you something to remember. You may not be able to quote one line from the Declaration of Independence at this moment. Henceforth, you'll always be able to quote at least one line. It's in the last paragraph where you will recall when I remind you, it says, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. In the Pennsylvania State House that's now called Independence Hall in Philadelphia, the best men from each of the colonies sat down together. This was a very fortunate hour in our nation's history, one of those rare occasions in the lives of men when we had greatness to spare. These were men of means, well-educated, 24 were lawyers and jurists, nine were farmers, owners of large plantations. On June 11, a committee sat down to draw up a declaration of independence. We were going to tell the British fatherland, no more rule by redcoats. Below the dam of ruthless foreign rule, the stream of freedom was running shallow and muddy. And we were going to light a fuse to dynamite that dam. This pact, as Burke later put it, was a partnership between the living and the dead and the yet unborn. There was no bigotry. There was no demagoguery in this group. All had shared hardships. Jefferson finished a draft of the document in 17 days. Congress adopted it in July, and so much is familiar history. But now, King George III had denounced all rebels in America as traitors. Punishment for treason was hanging. The names now so familiar to you from the several signatures on that Declaration of Independence, the names were kept secret for six months for each knew the full meaning of that magnificent last paragraph in which his signature pledged his life, his fortune, and his sacred honor. Fifty-six men placed their names beneath that pledge. Fifty-six men knew when they signed that they were risking everything. They knew if they won this fight, the best they could expect would be years of hardship in a struggling nation. And if they lost, they'd face a hangman's rope. But they signed the pledge. And here is the documented fate of that gallant 56. Carter Braxton of Virginia, wealthy planter, trader, saw his ships swept from the seas. To pay his debts, he lost his home and all of his properties and died in rags. 
Thomas Lynch Jr., who signed that pledge, was a third-generation rice grower, aristocrat, large plantation owner. After he signed, his health failed. His wife and he set out for France to regain his failing health. Their ship never got to France, was never heard from again. Thomas McKean of Delaware was so harassed by the enemy that he was forced to move his family five times in five months. He served in Congress without pay, his family in poverty and in hiding. Vandals looted the properties of Ellery and Clymer and Hall and Gwinnett and Walton and Hayward and Rutledge and Middleton. Thomas Nelson, Jr. of Virginia, raised $2 million on his own signature to provision our allies, the French fleet. After the war, he personally paid back the loans, wiped out his entire estate, and he was never reimbursed by his government. In the final battle for Yorktown, he, Nelson, urged General Washington to fire on his, Nelson's own home, which was occupied by Cornwallis. It was destroyed. Thomas Nelson, Jr. had pledged his life, his fortune, and his sacred honor. The Hessians seized the home of Francis Hopkinson of New Jersey. Francis Lewis had his home and everything destroyed, his wife imprisoned. She died within a few months. Richard Stockton, who signed that declaration, was captured, mistreated, his health broken to the extent that he died at 51. His estate was pillaged. Thomas Hayward, Jr. was captured when Charleston fell. John Hart was driven from his wife's bedside while she was dying. Their 13 children fled in all directions for their lives. His fields and grist mill were laid waste. For more than a year, he lived in forests and caves and returned home after the war to find his wife dead, his children gone, his properties gone. And he died a few weeks later of exhaustion and a broken heart. Lewis Morris saw his land destroyed, his family scattered. Philip Livingston died within a few months from the hardships of the war. John Hancock, history remembers best due to a quirk of fate rather than anything he stood for, that great sweeping signature attesting to his vanity towers over the others. One of the wealthiest men in New England. And yet he stood outside Boston one terrible night of the war. And he said, burn Boston, though it makes John Hancock a beggar, if the public good requires it. So he too lived up to the pledge. Of the 56, few were long to survive. Five were captured by the British and tortured before they died. Twelve had their homes from Rhode Island to Charleston sacked, looted, occupied by the enemy or burned. Two lost their sons in the army. One had two sons captured. Nine of the 56 died in the war from its hardships or from its more merciful bullets. I don't know what impression you had had of the men who met that summer in Philadelphia. But I think it's important that we remember this about them. They were not poor men. They were not wild-eyed pirates. These were men of means. They were rich men, most of them, and had enjoyed much ease and luxury in their personal living. Not hungry men, certainly not terrorists, not irresponsible malcontents, not fanatical incendiaries. These men were prosperous men, wealthy landowners. They were substantially secure in their prosperity. They had everything to lose. 
But they considered liberty, and this is as much as I shall say of it, they had learned that liberty is so much more important than security that they pledged their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor. And they fulfilled their pledge. They paid the price. And freedom was born. We're going our last uh, 20 minutes, so I was talking about college students suing over the state university's vaccine mandates. What's happening now is there's no law uh, to endorse these vaccine mandates, but different departments of the government, many businesses are trying to say you got to get the vaccine or you got to get you have to have the uh, mask. For the rest of your life. Now, this is a fra- another fraudulent thing. I, I just wrote this article uh, about these cur- curative vans that are running around Yuba County. I don't know whether they're going around Sutter or not. But this, uh, let me see if I have have this article down here. Uh, let me see. I can pull this thing up really fast. So I have an article that says, say no to to the vaccine. And um, so in the 50s, 60s, few parents considered delivering their kids to elementary school. Students K through 8 arrived on foot or bike. One of the few parental cautions was don't stop to talk with strangers or those offering you something like a treat to get you into the car. A Yuba County flyer blew into my yard last week asking if I missed the curative van lurking around injecting people with the COVID gene therapy. Curative means something that cures or a remedy. That's what the dictionary says. Too bad corporations and governments are not getting sued for false advertising these days. Victims are dropping like flies from the jab. Curative.com website for the company uh, says that cur- Curative, with our physician partners, is now offering the Moderna, Pfizer, Bio- BioNTech, and Janssen, Johnson & Johnson COVID vaccines. These vaccines, I'm, I'm reading what they have on their website. I took it off their website. These vaccines have been rigorously tested and authorized by the FDA. That's a lie. Select the nearest drive through walk walk-up kiosk or mobile site from our network of over 10,000 locations. Too bad we couldn't 
uh, provide this level of service to our attic population, I wrote. The flyer lists local pharmacies, clinics where confused victims can go get it injected uh, with the COVID cocktail uh, and never be the same. However, this is no legit vaccine. The Curative Com website admits. Now, I want you to listen to this, people. We're talking about gaslighting here. The Curative.com website, which is a website promoting taking the vaccine. This is what they say, quote, I'm quoting it. They admit this. After receiving all necessary doses to continue, they, they say we're, the CDC advises you to continue wearing a mask, wash your hands regularly, and maintain social distance as, re, as recommended. It's crazy. That is total nonsense what that just said, but that's what the CDC is saying. And they're saying, even though, remember the vaccine was going to solve everything? Now it solves nothing, except it's going to make you sick and kill a lot of people. In fact, I'm getting more and more reports of people I know, their relatives have died because of a COVID vaccine. Why? Because they get a phone call. Aunt Susie died. What happened to Aunt Susie? I didn't even know she was sick. She wasn't. She went and got a injected with the COVID vaccine. This is the truth. I'm telling you the truth, people. This is not a fully approved FDA vaccine. And there were no rigorous tests. Rather, these vaccines have received only an emergency use authorization, or you'll see the acronym EUA from the FDA. That means you get injected at your own risk. They have, they're admitting they haven't done the test. They haven't done the extra work on it that they need to do to convince everybody that it's safe. And I'm going to tell you how unsafe it is. You're injecting yourself at the risk of dying, but you're benefiting big pharma because they have immunity against lawsuits for damages done. You cannot sue Johnson & Johnson. Oh, Moderna. Dr. Lee Merritt says this is the first time in history where government endorses a vaccine when there are numerous safe and inexpensive medications for the ailment. Vaccines are normally sought where there is no treatment, she says. Remember, early on, Tony Fauci swore there were no safe, easy, and cheap remedies for COVID. Tony is a liar. He knew that was wrong. This is not... None of this has surprised Tony. He is in on the setup of this. Tony Fauci should be is a war criminal. So is Dr. Lou here. That was a calculated lie to push a vaccine and line that far and line big farmers pockets. And while those ill with COVID received more than 99 percent recovered more than 99% of the time, why would Big Pharma experiment on humans rather than animals? For fantastic profits, that's why. A recent comic, comedy, uh, newspaper comedy or comic, showed a mouse asking another mouse if he got the shot yet. And the second mouse said, no, they're still experimenting on humans. Is that just what they're doing? People get it. But a lot of people just don't want to get it. Since thousands are dying, being hospitalized, and permanently disabled by the injections, it is no wonder that California is offering lottery tickets, gift cards, and passes to Six Flags Theme Park to join the experiment. This gift incentive to risk your life is taking the, the pedophile candy for a ride to a big league level. 
Gavin Newsom announced in mid-June uh, that 65 vaccination locations around 13 counties, Yuba being one of them, uh, are participating in $4.5 million giveaway. How was Six Flags Magic Mountain chosen for the windfall of taxpayer cash? Wonder, did they bid on that? Or, did, or was that some connection to the French Laundry? I can't. I don't have time to go through all this. There's a there's an organization in the United States that was set up at, at at the demand of Congress when they gave immunity to these pharmaceutical companies, which still blows my mind. And a lot of Republicans were involved in this. They had to set up a vaccine adverse event reporting system, or called VAERS, V A E R S. It's a lousy system, but it's the only one we have. And it's, and it's where you report problems with vaccine safety. So doctors would be reporting. A citizen could make a report. It's co-managed co-man- by two very corrupt firms, the U- CDC and the WHO, both very corrupt and owned by China, basically. It's voluntary reporting. I can't get into all why. I think it's bad reporting. But let me just tell you, this is so underreported. But these are some amazing numbers. Total deaths reported from taking the vaccine. Almost 7,000. Just almost 7,000 deaths. Total injuries reported. This is just in the United States. Four hundred and About 412,000. Vaccine Deaths, 879. Vaccine breakthrough hospitalization, 4,427. Death within two days of injection, 2,696. Can you imagine being in the picture of health and going over and two days later you're dead and the only thing to change is you took an injection? Spontaneous miscarriages, 775. Birth defects, 205. Deaths in low age, low risk ages, 8, 0 to 39. That's from the vaccine people, the injection. That's not from COVID. Babies are dying because of the injection. Deaths in the high risk area, 60 on up. 4,400 people hospitalized post-inoculation. That's after the inoculation, over 23,000. Emergency visits because of the injection, 54,005. Life-threatening visits to the hospital, 6,898. Permanent disability, permanent disability, permanent disability. You go in healthy as a horse, you take the shot, and it paralyzes you or causes you to have a facial twitch. Six. 5,852. Sorry, uh, permanent disability. 5,852, correct. Heart attacks, 2,757. Deaths from heart attacks, 831. Heart attacks up to 24 years of age. People under 24 having a heart attack because of the vaccine. Heart attacks, 25 to 50, 522. Heart attacks, 51 to 65, 630. It just gets worse and worse. Strokes, 4,385, right after the the, uh, inoculation. 
And we have health officers sending vans around my community to get you shot or going to send me to Six Flags. I should ask if I could go after I'm dead. Will she bring me down there in a casket? All right. So that's my article. You can read it on Territorial Dispatch um, if you would like. Or you could look on my uh, No Hostages Radio and uh, you can check it out there and you can read all about it. I'm just trying to look at a text somebody just sending me here. Okay. Okay, just give me a couple minutes here. All right, let's go on here. We got eight minutes to go here, so let's do something good. And uh, let me go back up here to where I was. And we will pick this up. So, college students. So, three from Cal State University, Chico. Eight from Indiana University filed a federal lawsuit against a state school. Now, we just had a uh, uh, a meeting of the Freedom Coalition last night. And the point I made is we can talk, 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 talk. But until we are willing to get up and go to these supervisors meetings and city council meetings and stand up against these people and file lawsuits... They're just going to run over the top of us because they don't respect the Constitution anymore. None of them. So uh, at Indiana University, they filed federal lawsuits alleging that the vaccine requirement violates both their constitutional rights and the state's new anti-vax passport law. Certainly, the United States Constitution does not say that the government can come through and, and jab you. That's ridiculous, but no one is paying attention to the Constitution unless it's going to be you. If you and I do, and we say, you know something, Uh, I'm going to sue you right now because I'm going to have you arrested because you're trespassing on my property, trying to convince me and wanting to mess mix up you're supposed to be protecting me my rights about my health whether i want to take a shot or not not coming and telling me to take the darn shot now james bob jr who is a great a great reputation as a constitutional attorney he says i'm convinced that indiana indy indiana university vaccination mandate is unconstitutional It's a no-brainer. A government school has to comply with the Constitution because that's what the Constitution applies to. It limits, uh, it puts limits on the government. Bopp said that the mandate is an invasion of of a person's liberty and violates the 14th Amendment, which declares a state should not deprive a person of due process of law. Now, they have continued to do that when they shut down people's businesses. They could not do that 
but people shut them down. They went out. They they did not do it with a gun to their head. They just did it verbally in Yuban Sutter counties, and then people just obeyed. If they wouldn't have obeyed, you know, there were businesses in Yuban Sutter counties that never missed a day. They just worked because it was a violation of their constitutional rights. Because they cannot, that's like removing your property. That's like taking your car from you that you own. They have to use due process of law. They can't just take stuff or or threaten you. So he says, he also noted that both medical and religious exemptions are also unconstitutional. The CSU lawsuit also filed in federal court in Sacramento on behalf of three students and says that all three contracted COVID-19 in January 2020 and subsequently recovered from their virus. The point that the students are making is that students don't get sick and die from the virus they recover and then they have antibodies that for the rest of your life prevent you from having that problem anymore because your body is just an amazing system that creates those antibodies and that's what the whole thing about herd immunity h-e-r-d immunity is it's like whether or not you got sick there if you tested yourself there's a high likelihood that you the, the germ or whatever it is got in your body, the virus got in your body, it tried to do its thing, but your body just said, ain't going to happen here, right? It's like when some people have tried to come here and give me a hard time, I said, ain't going to happen here, dude. Not here. Go somewhere else. But I could have, it, it could have gone a different way. So the CSU, so anyway, we got these lawsuits, which I am thrilled about. And I hope my little friend's involved, or I hope she'll call me back. Federal and state officials have repeatedly said the vaccines are safe. These people are complete liars. That vaccine is loaded with a, with a product called, it's a nanoparticle called graphene oxide, and it will poison you. It's loaded with it. And the distribution nationwide has largely stayed off spikes and infections and allowed for states to reopen. These are all complete lies. Anyway, uh, we even have the state capital assembly in California and state Senate leaders are demanding that their capital staffers either get the vaccine or get tested for COVID-19. Not once. Every single week. That is crazy, people. They're shoving that thing all the way up, almost into your brain. They refuse to address that many employees who had recovered from COVID-19 or capital staffers themselves who may have had it but showed no symptoms. Just what I'm saying. They have antibodies. They're not going to be getting sick. So the Globe says they have a medical professional that's a friend of the newspaper. And it says that everyone has either had it by now or been exposed to coronavirus. And those who wanted the virus, who wanted the vaccine, have gone ahead and taken it, according to Mayo Clinic. 
Herd immunity occurs when a large portion of a community, the herd, becomes immune to a disease, making the spread of the disease from person to person very unlikely. As a result, the whole community becomes protected. But this whole thing, you know who, who benefits from the vaccines being given to every single person in the world? Think about it. Think if you came up with an idea like of something you could chew on, but you wouldn't swallow, like chewing gum, and you had it in different flavors, and you could sell one pack to 7 billion people in the world. Do you think you would be a bajillionaire? Yeah, you would overnight if, that, if you were the first one to deliver it. So when you're a pharmaceutical executive, if you see the possibility that we're going to inject babies with 30 different vaccines— instead of back in the old days with five. Or you're going to inject everybody every year with the flu vaccine. Oh, my God, you got to get the flu vaccine. Oh, you got to get, you're going to die. Every year we go through, oh, my God. It's five. And then people get it and think, oh, yeah, I felt sick after I got it. I think I got the flu after I got it. Honestly, it's total nonsense, people. Total nonsense. There is no mandate in the states, the Governor Newsom has signed no such bill uh, to to uh, insist on vaccine passports. But local counties, and we're watching here in Yuba Sutter, local counties are trying to create vaccine passports. Well, we're going to call it a night. Uh, we're, we ran out of time, and uh, we'll have to pick it up next week. You can check out all those connections. You want to follow me for the next week at uh, Live with Lou, Facebook, etc. Catch you We're later. so glad to see so many of you lovely people here tonight. We would especially like to welcome all the representatives of Illinois' law enforcement community who have chosen to join us here in the Palace Hotel Ballroom at this time. We certainly hope you all enjoy the show. And remember, people, that no matter who you are and what you do to live, thrive, and survive, there's still some things that make us all the same. You, me, them, everybody. Someone to love, someone to love, sweetheart to miss, sweetheart to miss, sugar to